Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Not Tuesday Show. As I've mentioned before, rebranding is in flux right now, but been a very busy month here this October for me, and uh, things were not different this past weekend, although I was not able to make it out to first attack the weekend before. This past weekend, I was at the classic Tetris World Championships where we crowned a new champion in Eric ICX. It was absolutely one of the craziest uh, Tetris events ever. If you guys are not familiar with classic NES Tetris, uh, the game has completely changed, and things are going wild in the classic Tetris world these days. Uh, but uh, you could definitely check out all the archives and everything like that. Actually, let me do one more thing over here before we get started here. I'm going to swap this over here and do this as well. Uh, uh, sorry for the people listening at home. Uh, what was I at? there? There we go. There we go. That's what I want to do. Ah, FGC news first. So, but, uh, after the tournament finished at around like six o'clock, seven o'clock on Sunday, there was a nice little after party for everybody, uh, for all the Tetris people to go to. And then after that was done, uh, uh, my flight was at seven in the morning. So I basically didn't sleep that night. So I didn't sleep between Sunday and Monday, came home, passed out on Monday, but I am still extremely, extremely tired and exhausted today. So uh, I didn't really have a chance to prepare any sort of topics. So I figured every once in a while it might be fun just to try to do a Q&A uh, stream. We used to do that, you know, with Ultra David, me and Ultra David every once in a while would just be like, eh, let's just do a Q&A day, you know, and hang out with the chat and talk with the chat and everything like that. So so I'm going to try to do today. I've never tried it before with just myself. So I don't know if this is going to go well or if this is going to be extremely uh, short if nobody has any questions. But uh, I figured we'd go ahead and do that. But of course, before we get started with that, let's do some FGC news here. Uh, main thing that I saw recently was that uh, a Mortal Kombat mobile game was announced. Uh, what is this thing called? It is called uh, Mortal Kombat Onslaught, uh, a brand new game coming out, and it is being developed by NetherRealm Studios. Now, I definitely saw some people. Uh, concerned about this, they were like, oh no, is this what Nether Realms is going to be working on this whole entire time? This is the next Mortal Kombat game, and they're all freaking out. No, does that mean no Mortal Kombat 12 slash Injustice 3? I mean, look, uh, mostly the only thing I can really add to this is that uh, you probably don't have to worry too much about that. My suspicion is that they're going to have two different groups working on this because it just doesn't seem like it would be a smart idea to have Nether Realms focus purely on a mobile game and nothing else. Like, that's just, that's literally, if that was the case, that's Warner Brothers saying, we don't want money. <laughs> and every company wants money. A Mortal Kombat 12 will print money. So I wouldn't worry about it if I were you guys, to be honest with you. Pretty sure that we are going to get 
a uh, new big game announced in that Mortal Kombat onslaught, this mobile game, which I guess is going to have a story, uh, going to be like a, uh, a, a kind of like a maybe a one-player game. Not sure. We don't really have all that many details, but again. I wouldn't really worry about it too much. Most likely, they're going to have separate divisions. Uh, right, they already have a separate mobile dev team. Exactly. They made a Mortal Kombat mobile game a long time ago. Uh, Injustice 2 was free on PS Plus this month. Uh, I just checked, and it wasn't Injustice 2 anymore, so that might have already passed, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, and it's true, Guts R. Guts R says, yeah, that would be a no-brainer. I believe what people are more concerned about is when the new game is coming out. Because, obviously, you know, the Game Awards is usually when NRS has announced new things. We didn't get anything. <laughs> we didn't get anything at the Game Awards. We didn't get anything at EVO. In fact, Ed Boon even tweeted out, like, don't expect anything at EVO. So it seems really weird for a lot of them. I mean, especially because Mortal Kombat 11, which was pretty successful, I'm pretty sure, financially speaking, kind of ended its dev cycle pretty quickly after like two years. They were like, okay, uh, just letting you know, we're not working on this anymore. Then Multiverses was coming out and people were like, oh, is this what they're working on? No, it's a different company. Not NetherRealms working on it. So NetherRealms has just been extremely quiet. And I think that, yeah, I think Guts is right in the chat that that's probably what most people are concerned about. It's just how quiet NRS has been, right? So we just not haven't had any, all the fans are like, trying to look for, trying to get some more information, uh, you know, coming out from anybody. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, the other thing that happened uh, this past weekend, uh, still waiting for Street Fighter Duel. <laughs> hey, Hell Traveler, I'll let you know, though, that Street Fighter Duel is currently out in China. The global version will be coming soon. Join Ryu, Chun-Li, and Ken, and all of your favorite cast in an effort to fight Shadaloo at the uh, Suzaku Castle with the, uh, you know, and join the millions of players from around the world. Dude, I have read this thing so many times that I swear it's like burned into my head. Time to fly! Time to fly! Oh, man. Yeah, we'll see when that comes out. Man. Yeah. But in any case, uh, the other thing that happened this weekend was that um, Guilty Gear Rev 2 rollback beta test is now live. Now, if I'm not mistaken, is this basically similar to their previous betas in that it's just going to be in beta forever until the game actually gets updated i'm not actually sure i didn't get a chance to personally try it this weekend but if it's still going which i believe it is i may have to jump on and see if i can remember how to play exert at all and try to pick up some johnny uh again however from everything that i have been reading uh from all the tweets and stuff it sounds like that the net code has been pretty standard 
Arxis Brilliant <laughs> for two weeks it's going. Okay, it says Force uh, Force Ike in the chat. So if that's the case, it'll be going for two weeks. So I may have time to play it uh, sometime this week uh, if I have a chance to stream myself playing the game. But it is out. And I've heard so far it's been absolutely fantastic. There has definitely been some bugs. I think I saw something about Chip's leaf grab kind of bugging out or something or doing the wrong animations or something. But, you know, these are all things that they will iron out as it goes. But if it's anything like the previous uh, Guilty Gear games that they've been doing uh, with the rollback, hopefully, you know, it has been pretty good. Anybody in the chat who's actually had a chance to play the Exert rollback, uh, let me know if they, they if anybody in the chat has any experience of their own uh, to share with everybody over here. But again, you know, uh, this is really awesome. And, you know, honestly, this could have been a topic as well because I've wanted to address stuff like this. But, you know, Tubo did a whole video on this on, on our channel beforehand as well. But basically, you know, it's it's awesome that uh, looks like the lobbies are hard to find, huh? Says Fighting Dirty. Okay, okay. So I'm sure they've got bugs that they've got to work out, but that's the nice thing about having a beta going for two weeks, uh, basically. But, um, you know, again, this is a great thing because in all honesty, you know, one of the beautiful things about fighting games and obviously going into an online world, it's harder for older games. And, you know, I've always said that, you know, games are never dead, right? Everyone's always like, dead game, dead game, dead. No such thing as a dead game. Fighting games technically tend to live forever, and with a lot of things like Fightcade and other emulators out there, uh, you know, even if the games don't have rollback netcode natively into the game, these kind of services like Fightcade do a great job providing ability for people to play games with rollback. And in fact, I, you know, uh, up until this point, you know, we still haven't really had a DOA, VF, or Tekken with rollback. And so a lot of people are like, is it really possible? Now, VF has rollback available in Fightcade, and people have said it's pretty good. However, um, how, <laughs> Psycho Blue, <laughs> I see you in the chat. I see you in the chat. Um, but uh, Virtua Fighter has Virtua Fighter two and three, I think, have rollback based off of Dreamcast. But again, those games are not as intense, and we haven't had any modern 3D games. However, I don't believe, like obviously, stuff like Guilty Gear and Street Fighter six, they are 3D games. There's just no 3D positioning. So I don't know if that actually makes it easier to program the rollback. Right. So VF four has rollback, and Naomi two is in Flycast. Right, exactly, uh, but it's not perfect just yet. But again, is it harder to do than it is? You know what I should try to do? Maybe for next week, I'll see if I can do this. I'll see if I can do kind of like an interview thing that I did with uh, Arturo when I first started doing the solo show and see if I can bring Zynac 
uh, onto the stream or something or find somebody of that nature so that we could just sit down and discuss rollback for long periods of time and just kind of, uh, you know, try to get through a lot of the myths and myth bust, basically rollback netcode, I think would actually be really, really cool to do. Now, um, hey, what's up? Panama Fighters League in the chat. Wow, cheers from Panama. What's up, guys? How you guys doing? So, uh, again, uh, if you guys want to have the chance to try Exert, and it's great, right? So, if, if you are a person, for example, playing Strive, and all you hear are the veterans being like, Strive is too simple, you know, you should go back and play Guilty Gear Exert, because that's the real Guilty Gear game, blah, 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 blah. Like, go, you know, feel free to go and uh, try it now. Uh, it definitely has the rollback, and uh, the rollback is what stopped me from playing the game a lot. Right, Harada mentioned that it's harder for Tekken because it's 3D, but I, I want to hear it from a developer's mouth. Let's just put it that way. I want to hear it from the developer uh, as opposed to... Because I'm sure Harada doesn't know all the technical stuff. But yeah, Guts, I actually wanted to mention that. Yeah, get destroyed by the legacy players in Exert. Because get ready, Exert is a brutal game. Like, every time I watch it, I remember just how... In fact, there was a clip that just came out of Josh360 basically destroying the entire opposing team in Marvel 2 and basically didn't let the other person play. Exert is a lot of like that. It's it's a lot like that, just so you guys know. <laughs> just so you guys know. Uh, there is definitely uh, a lot of potential for you not to play at all. <laughs> uh, Hello Kitty plush I signed. Oh, you're doing the World Warrior this weekend. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. Glad to hear that. Um, but again... Yeah, uh, I mean, Strive is like that, where it's very one-player-y, but here's the interesting thing, is that uh, Guilty Gear Exert can be more like that, I think, at lower levels, because, you know, the whole the whole thing, the one of the main things that has changed fighting games a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, maybe this can be a topic in and of itself, but one of the biggest changes in fighting games in the past few years and really only just the past few years since actually it's been a while now it's been a while but i feel like it was propagated largely by street fighter 4 so in this modern generation the the second you know gi giant uh string the streaming era of fighting games one of the biggest changes in fighting games is that block stun and hit stun are different uh, what a lot of people don't realize and then old games block stun and hit stun generally were the exact same thing so that if a move comboed on hit it was a com it was a true block string etc etc it was very rarely that the hit stun and block stun were different from each other so when you play something like guilty gear strive there still is that factor right so when you're playing the game and you block something now it's your turn if you get hit they can combo out of it etc etc uh but in guilty gear exert it's the same hit stun and blocks are the same unless you ib right unless you insta block and if you insta block then you reduce two frames of block stun if i'm not mistaken i believe it's two frames and certain things like leo for example uh 
outside of Leo, most characters, at least as a beginner, you don't really have to learn to IB right away. But Leo kind of forces that on you because he's such an oppressive character. Uh, but again, if you don't IB at first, it's very difficult to get out of situations. Guilty Gear does have a lot, Exert does have a lot more defensive options. Dead angles work better, for example. Um, you know, they have blitz and, and IBs, like I said, are there. Uh, but again, uh, the game is brutal. The game is very, very difficult, especially with all the legacy players that are playing it. However, this is not meant to discourage you because, again, one of the nice things about those kind of games is that if you get really good at your character, you can also oppress opponents as well. Uh, <laughs> it's been fun seeing Tekken 7 players try Tekken 6 and realize they can't wake up. Yeah, so Tekken 6, uh, previous to Tekken 7... The game was far, far, far more uh, Oki-based. And it was easy to chase people down if you knew how they were going to get up and just basically reset them into a new combo. And kind of vortex people to death. And, you know, it is one of the things that I've often said why I think Tekken 7 got so much more popular and Street Fighter V actually kind of was a little less popular in that you know, people have often said back in the heyday of early Street Fighter V and, you know, when Tekken 7 was the most popular game, people would often say, I enjoy Tekken 7 a lot more because I know why I lost. Whereas in Street Fighter V, I can't figure out why I lost. And really, that's that, that was a false statement. Nobody knows why you lose in Tekken 7, dude. Nobody knows why you lose in most fighting games. Uh... However, the thing about it is that uh, in Tekken 7, getting up and getting back to neutral was easier. Street Fighter V, out of all the Street Fighter games, getting up, getting back to neutral was harder. It's the hardest it's ever been uh, in Street Fighter V, especially early on. Uh, so really what people mean by I feel like I know why I died it just means that they were able to get back to neutral more often and that feels better to them like that actually feels like the game is more understandable but you know to be honest with you you're probably not picking up on a bazillion of the subtle things that are happening in Tekken 7 neutral and you just feel like stuff is happening because you're actually fighting in the neutral or then you end up fighting an Eddie or a Xiaoyu and then you're like, I don't even, I, how, how does neutral work against these characters? And then you get murdered. <laughs> right, like Kumatori says in the chat, less feeling like the game rolls you over. And Street Fighter V was largely like that for a long time. The game really rolled you over, you know, when other players, and you still see it today, right? How many crazy comebacks do we see in Street Fighter V? And it's just because the game is so momentum heavy, you don't get back into neutral, which is why games like KOF 15 never feel quite as bad. Yeah, you can have a whole character deleted, but that's usually on the on the anchor characters but early on it's a very neutral game and so even though you have invul dps and invul rolls and you know all these mechanics to make sure that you know that people hate in street fighter all these mechanics exist but it's not as bad because the game just ends up in neutral a lot more it's really really hard in kof to get good oki situation like if you sit there and you actually play kof 5 
uh, a KOF 15 and try to cr- land a point blank crouching light kick on an opponent who knows what they're doing, you will find out that you can almost never land that on somebody. It's really, really hard to land a crouching light kick while next to an opponent in KOF 15 because of the invul rolls, invul DPs, you know, wake ups, rolling wake ups, etc., etc. And so you do return to neutral a lot more. You know, Street Fighter V is just a game that doesn't have that. Will Street Fighter VI be the most neutral game ever? Uh, not really. Uh, there is definitely some neutral aspects to it because things push back a little bit more. But there's definitely going to be some dangerous mix-ups. Now, again, we don't know enough about the game. Parries are going to change a lot of things, and I don't know a lot of people have actually... Um, you know, explored that enough. So, uh, I don't think, again, like, people, even if you, like, talk about uh, Super Turbo, like, you know, or, you know, people are like, oh my god, Super Turbo is the game all about fundamentals. And as a Super Turbo fan and as a player who loves Super Turbo and that's his favorite fighting game, like, what? What? <laughs> like, you're going to tell me this game is about fundamentals? Really? <laughs> Really? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, just play Claw a few times and you'll see what kind of fundamentals exist in that game. Um, but again, you know, people always talk about like this neutral, like, oh my god, neutral is the fundamentals, the, like a fighting game is the best if it's, you know, mostly neutral, blah, 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 blah. Like, I, I don't think that game exists. I think that fighting game is just a figment of people's imaginations. I don't really think the ultimate neutral fighting game exists, honestly. Every fighting game is about trying to be as dirty as possible. And yeah, ST is very super knowledge-based with matchups because things change between characters a lot. That's another thing that's changed is that a lot of old games, there was a lot of very character-specific stuff. Like, if you watch Exert, like, it's not going to be like Strive. Most of the time, if you land a combo on a character in Strive, that combo works on everybody. In Exert, it's not nearly as much the case. Guilty Gear has always been very kind of uh, 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 dodgy when it comes to doing combos on most characters. In fact, one of the reasons why I had trouble getting good at XX and could never get my Johnny to that level was because uh, one hit in Senga was really important to Johnny in uh, Guilty Gear XX. And uh, you had to use a different combo for every single character that you fought. And uh, very, very... um, You had to use a different combo for like every... And like really picky timings. And I just didn't want to practice them all and memorize all the different ones, to be honest with you. So I just never bothered. Uh, Romano Chi, save that question uh, for once I get to the Q&A, and I will definitely answer that. So, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, Psycho Blue, Street Fighter Cross Tekken might be one of the most honestly neutral-based games there is. Every single button leads to a combo. It is That is honestly one of the reasons why Psycho Blue, like n- legit one of the reasons why I dislike the game so much is because all the buttons kind of led to the same thing, and I, I hated that a lot. Um, but um, 
The other thing too, though, is that I also think it's one of the reasons why Street Fighter Cross Tekken is also one of the most boring games to watch for people, uh, for viewers who don't know the game. Like, it's a very, very fun game, I think, to play if that's the kind of thing that you want, right? But if you actually... uh, if you actually like watch it and don't know much, uh, there was definitely not 83k views at ECT for that game <laughs> for Street Fighter Cross Tekken. There's no way unless it was unless it came from something else or if it was, or are you just saying that on YouTube 83ks? Are you saying on YouTube? I thought you meant on Twitch. I thought you meant on Twitch. Okay, okay. <laughs> I thought you meant on Twitch. On uh, But Art's channel is a powerful channel, right? So you're going to get a lot of curiosity on that. And in fact, recently, I actually went back to watch like a combo breaker tournament for Street Fighter Cross Tekken because I was like, maybe it's different now. Maybe, yeah, it was CB 2019. I went to watch back and I was like, maybe it's different now. Maybe Street Fighter Cross Tekken isn't the same game that I remembered. And I went and I watched Street Fighter Cross Tekken at Combo Breaker 2019 and um, I fell asleep while watching it. <laughs> I, I really did. I, I, I don't know. Like the game just literally does nothing for me. I can't figure that out anymore i i can't i can't figure out that game like i watch it and i i seriously just cannot find anything about it about that game that interests me i i can't explain it like people are always like the combos are so dude i think the combos are so boring in that game like there's really not a variety right it's just depending on how opponent one sets up combo and then character b does the follow-up that they do regardless of character a is just depends on what launch or on the ground anyways i just i i again what are two of the most fun games to watch right ultimate marvel versus capcom 3 mvc2 two of the most popular uh, audience games ever and yeah marvel 3 and marvel 2 both had really really strong neutrals in a way but that's not the thing that made them like fun for people to watch people love to see the griminess they like to see the dirt right the highlights are almost always the craziness that you see from these kind of games right not the not the neutral like the neutral <laughs> I get it. Everyone talks about neutral like it's some mythical thing, but I'm telling you, neutral doesn't really exist. And maybe this is just what my today's topic uh, is going to be about. But I mean, I'll get to some of the other questions. But honestly, like people wanting neutral in a fighting game is a myth, right? It's just a myth, right? So third strike, you could say there's a lot of good neutral in that game until Burian hits you one time and then unblockables you death and then you know good luck playing neutral against um uh ganajin <laughs> good luck against ganajin so um but yeah honestly like uh we'll see i don't even agree with that gundam jihudi kai where he says sft owes a lot to the tech and tag system for the tagging i kind of disagree with that because it was a lot easier to tag in tech and tag i felt like 
because obviously if you have resources, you can use the meter and tag pretty safely in Street Fighter Cross Tekken, but that's another thing that actually bothered me about the game is I really wished it was a lot easier to tag between your characters. I would have loved to have seen Street Fighter Cross Tekken if it was more chaotic back and forth with the characters. Uh, that's something that I would have liked to see more, but in fact, most of the time the tagging happens in combos and happens in uh, in block strings. Like I would have, I think tagging in neutral would have been a little bit more interesting. Uh, so you know, again, I just think neutral is just this kind of under like over overhyped like mythical thing. Like I I can't even tell. Like the game that might have the most neutral might honestly be dive kick like dive kick might have the most neutral because of how different the characters are and because you have to take into account the angles and finally because one hit kills you <laughs> so honestly i really do feel like uh Dive Kick might have some of the best neutral in fighting games because that's what that game entirely is, is neutral. Right, and Call Me Comic says people only want neutral because they just lost and felt like they got grimed on. But again, welcome to fighting games. Like, I can't, like, I can't explain to you how many fighting... Like, if it's like a vortex, like Street Fighter 4, don't like it as much, especially because Unblockables existed. But man, like... All the games are grimy, man. All the games are grimy. Sam Show has good neutral, but nowadays, even then, Romano Cheese, like, play some of those high-level Rimuru, Rimururus, and you're just like, am I playing Guilty Gear? <laughs> am I playing Guilty Gear right now? Oh, uh, man. Oh, are you talking about Sailor Moon S, Amatsu? Are you talking about Sailor Moon S? <laughs> Uh, yeah, Samurai Showdown with uh, Rollback would be really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's one character in uh, Sailor Moon that has invincible backdash from start to end and can cancel backdash into backdash and be invincible forever. And I heard she's like the worst character in the game or something like that. Because <laughs> she can never get the lead to actually do that to anybody. Oh, man. But yeah, uh, Sailor Moon S, I've heard, is one of the craziest, craziest games uh, ever. Um, full screen dash into SPDs and stuff like that. So yeah, the, the Sailor Jupiter has a move. You know, he says that uh, Amatsu says Sailor Moon has the most chip damage in the entire game. She has a move that literally does more damage on chip than if it hits you. Yeah. <laughs> How many Tetris gummies did I eat, asked Nalip? Dude, I ate so many gummies. Like, if you listen to my commentary, there's just every once in a while where all of a sudden I start slurring. And it's because there was just so much juice in my mouth, dude. Those things were actually legit, really juicy. It was crazy. Gummies are addicting. They really are. I don't know what it is. They're like the candy version of chips and salsa, right? <laughs> They're like the they're like the candy version of chips and salsa, dude. Oh man. But in any case, you know what? We're moving on to the questions. Uh, again, check out uh, Exert if you guys can rev two, uh, so that you can actually uh, play some test out some rollback. Like I said, I probably will play it pretty soon um, on stream just to see if I can actually 
get good and learn some Johnny and remember how to play Johnny. Um, if someone wanted to kill me, they would lock me in a room full of unlimited fruit snacks, says Meow Cool Cat. I know, right? Like, fruit snacks, chips and salsa, and then just put a bunch of, like, soda there for me, and then I'm dead. That's it. Like, literally, especially if it's, like, a button that I can press on the wall and more gummies and more chips and salsa roll in, I would just basically be dead, I think. <laughs> uh, right now, uh, Duck Helmet Rev 2 is only, the rollback is only on Steam. Uh, it is not going to be on PS4, like a lot of the classic rollback updates for, from Arxis. And I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that, you know, they just updating it on the PlayStation is going to be uh, difficult. And, and that was the other one. That was the reason. Thank you, Gundam Jehudi Kai. Because you can cross-play with PS3 Exerd on PS4 Exerd. And so if you update PS4 Exerd, that means you have to update PS3 Exerd, which basically doesn't exist anymore, but then you can't kill it for the... I mean, maybe you could end of service the online for the PS3 players, because, Jesus, are, are there any PS3 players still playing Exerd online? <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe it's okay, but again, uh, probably uh, not going to happen. Uh, so Steam right now is the only place to do that. Uh, oh, I do that right now, Duck Helmet. Uh, I do that right now. I still drink uh, sodas a lot. <laughs> Many sodas a day. So, But in any case, so uh, as I've explained to people, if you guys are just tuning in wondering what's going on here, no crazy topics today. So it's probably going to be a pretty quiet and easy day today. So I'm just going to do a Q&A. So if you guys have any questions, at Jay Chenzor in the chat. If I pick up a question, wait until I'm done with that question before you start asking other questions. Uh, and I'll try to get to as many uh, that I can. When am I getting back into Alpha 3? Asks Mike Lee. God, I don't... The hardest part about getting back into Alpha 3 is I don't know who would I use. I don't know who I'd use anymore because I, I like playing Armika, but obviously she's not great. Some people can definitely make her work, but she's not great. Uh, maybe Sodom or something like that. So, oh, that's true. Well, actually, if you do Jay Chenzor, I still see it highlighted. So that's okay, uh, Peter0611. So just, just uh, how does that work? I, I guess if you just type Jay Chenzor, Colon. Yeah, there you go. I still see it highlighted anyway. Uh, Psycho Damo, Soul Calibur 6 is not getting any new DLC. That's not going to happen. So, uh, Most memorable Evo moment for me. Um, uh, that one, I mean, it, 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 you got to be corny, right? Like, the Daigo Perry is absolutely the most memorable Evo moment for me. Mostly because um, it's just, it was the, f so like I told people, you know, during that period of time, you know, the goal for a lot of us old people were trying to get, um, you know, we were thinking about hoping fighting games could get to the point where they would be in stadiums and, and have big crowds and stuff, but we never really believed in it at that time. I was like, fighting games could get there, but I'll probably be old and dead by the time it does. 
you know, but when the Daigo Perry happened, it was honestly like the first moment in my brain that was like, holy shit, this could be a thing. And we didn't have any illusions of esports or where there wasn't even an MLG or whatnot. Like we didn't have any of the infrastructure. There was no streaming and any of these things like that. So the fact that that video happened and then went so viral as probably the most viewed esports video of all time. And again, people are going to try to, you know, compare it to like some of the, uh, that ain't Falco, you know, kind of things like that from smash. But Remember, the parry moment happened when we didn't have YouTube and people were downloading all of that stuff. And so uh, we don't have the numbers for Evo Moment 37, but that thing got downloaded by everybody. It was one of the most virally downloaded videos of all time because, again, you could read the passion, you could feel the passion, and it really, really set like I said the bar for me like as soon as I saw it and the room was rumbling my first thought wasn't wow Daigo was ridiculous like my first thought was like holy shit this could happen this could happen you know like honestly uh that was like one of the the, the greatest moments for me uh you know uh Forrest says Street Fighter 4 Justin versus Daigo that was another that was the one that convinced me to stay in the fighting game community because I had contemplated leaving at that point because I just felt like it wasn't gonna grow but Street Fighter 4 Daigo versus Justin Grand Finals really just brought it back and it was really great uh Prowler PX asked what are the other 36 Evo moments Tragic who made the Evo 37 moment video just made up a number and it would be the idea to make you think like, make it feel like this happens all the time. So he just chose 37 and that's basically where the number came from. And it's actually kind of great. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see Justin is just like going, yeah, trying to smack the controllers to get Daigo to miss the parry timing. But Daigo did not get affected at all. Uh, so that's, that's that situation. Uh, so Romano Cheese asks, did I ever take any of the versus games seriously? Take any versus games seriously. Now, if you're talking about like X-Men versus Street Fighter, Marvel versus Capcom, etc., etc., no, the answer is no. I only played X-Men versus Street Fighter, Marvel Superheroes, Children of the Atom as more puzzle games than anything. I just really enjoyed doing combos on those games. That was kind of where I was. It was just fun for me to try to find combos and try to just break the system as much as possible. Those games are Kusoge games. You can play them at a competitive level, but they're not like, you know, gonna be uh, tournament worthy kind of games in that way. Uh, but definitely, uh, <laughs> I went to Brazil and I beat everyone in X-Men versus Street Fighter. Right, right. I forgot about that. <laughs> but if you're also including a games like uh, CVS and CVS2, I definitely took CVS and CVS2 very seriously. In fact, CVS1 and CVS2 might be my most successful fighting game period of my life in terms of competition, having actually won like a CVS2 tournament at Southern Hills Golf Land and always placing really, really high in those games and such. This was all before roll canceling. And in fact, when Southern Hills 
Golf Land used to do the every Friday night gathering at Southern Hills Golf Land, uh, I was always top three. It was always Vi first, Jay Vissant second, and then me third place. Like every week early on until Alex Salguero, uh, part of Team Run, uh, his handle is, is Sin, um, until he started showing up. Then I was always fourth place. Sin would always be, I could never beat Sin except for one time he had a really awful execution error and I killed him for it. Um, but outside of that, he used to beat me all the time. So then it became Alex, Valle, Jay Fissant, and Sin, and then I would always be in fourth place. But I was always up there. Like, during the CVS two times, I was always, always really, really competitive during that time. So if you're counting that as part of the uh, uh, versus game series, which I don't, because CVS and CVS two are nothing like the versus games, versus games being the Marvel games, Tatsunoko versus Capcom included, etc., etc., uh, so in terms of just Marvel games and crossover games, uh, I've never really taken any of them seriously, uh, outside of just for funsies doing combos. And then, uh, CVS 1 and CVS 2, I definitely took very, very, very seriously. Uh, if, e if EO made it out into the arcade, it wouldn't have changed anything because EO probably wasn't as good because don't forget when roll canceling came out for uh sin no sin isn't my demon no 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 no. i have plenty of demons and sin sin was one that uh was hard to fight but i would never consider him a demon or anything like that but um uh shoot what was i just saying oh eo uh again roll canceling which eo took out um actually hurt the game, right? Right, yeah. Roll canceling saved CVS2, and EO took out roll canceling because prior to roll canceling, you couldn't beat Sagat and you couldn't beat Blanca, who crouched fierced you to death. But now, like the EX green hand that everybody wanted, giving everybody a horizontal dragon punch that for many characters was safe on block, uh, allowed them to fight against, you know, uh, those characters. So the tears compressed a lot because it really equalized the power of a lot of characters and, uh, you know, allowed, you know, players to also, you know, get good at K-Groove and stuff, which didn't have roll canceling, but the K-Groove was your... I'm not good at roll canceling, but K Groove is really, really good. So that uh, let them compete with the roll canceling, but it really did open up the game a lot, a lot. And so EO being in the arcade would have been like the Third Strike Upper or whatever it was called. Third Strike actually did get an update in the arcade where what they did was they removed Oro and Urian's Unblockable, and it was a worse game as a result. Because you took away their unblockables, which was the only thing that let them really compete. <laughs> and you took that away? And you left Chun and Yun how they were? What? <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, yeah, and so again, people like dirt. And this is, again, you know, people don't actually want neutral, man. <laughs> people don't actually want neutral, dude. People want, uh, people want like, dirt and stuff. So, you know... <laughs> 
Yeah, but that's true, Mike Lee. A2 gold, A3 upper, EO, third strike home, CVS1 pro. Most of them uh, weren't very, very good. So Psychodamo asks, let's see, should CPT go to more countries? Yes, next question. Uh, no. <laughs> No, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm really glad that they've started including some African uh, regions, but we need to cover more of Africa and that's gonna grow as time goes on. And obviously with Street Fighter VI with better net code, it's gonna be able to grow a lot better. But yes, 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 CPT offline events should go to more countries. CPT online events should go to more countries. But again, the infrastructure is very difficult, right? CPT isn't like it's they're throwing a bazillion dollars into this to be able to run this at a bunch of different countries. In fact, most of the time they're piggybacking off of existing events to help them save money, right? So it's really about do those areas have tournaments and have scenes that can actually uh, run those kind of things. Um, so I, it's, it's a really, really kind of uh, uh, a difficult thing to happen without the communities growing themselves and a lot of times that's what it takes right it really takes the community to grow themselves and actually uh, make make start something up and show that the scene deserves stuff so for example like the Brazil scene for example they every time they always show more and more power more prominence and that's why the one year Brazil actually had two CPT online events right but you know uh, we definitely need to, to, to go there and yeah Middle East has gotta stop being lumped in EU and all that stuff Middle East has to be its own region for sure for sure for sure for sure uh, don't forget, if you want to ask me, uh, make sure you at Jay Chenzor uh, in the chat. So uh, not Ultra Chen TV. Do at Jay Chenzor in the chat, and I'll be able to see that. Um, what specifically, Fanta, about FGC terminology? So fighting game uh, terminology, where did that come from? Where did FGC terminology terminology come from? It's just usually what stuck, uh, Fanta. It's just what stuck, uh, to be honest with you. Um, things just catch on when you're not necessarily want them to, or you have people like me who try to coin terms all the time and, and get the, the terminology in there. Like I said, trip guard, launcher, these are terms that I've made up. Flying screen, that was a James Chen turn, term. You know, uh, it, it just depends, but things like buffering and meaties, it's just something that got popular. Like for us, flash kick was a uh, razor kick. Like my my circle always calls, called it razor kick. But, you know, when things got bigger, it became flash kick and it's just been flash kick uh, from that point forward. Uh, Liquid Snake asked me, what are my thoughts on infiltration right now? Uh, again, I, I don't want to get into it too much, to be honest with you, because it's just one of those topics that you're just inviting problems. But uh, it's it's that's. Uh, like I said, it's it's a it's a tricky topic and uh, probably not a good one to put into a Q and A. Uh, so I'm just gonna go ahead and uh, 
move past that one for now. Uh, Tagman Inc. asked, was the Jay Chenzo indie game dev, de- indie game dev arc? As soon as I actually decide to sit down and study how to make games with Unreal or, or uh, Unity, I could probably start that. Uh, uh, I mean, like I said, you can ask me anything. I can answer it however I want to. Uh, Forrest asks, do you feel great sorrow while arcades are all closing in NA like I did? I felt with each arcade closed, it was a friend's death. Uh, uh, Am I sad about arcade closures? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, this past weekend, I finally visited Ground Control. Uh, which is an arcade slash bar up in Portland. And that, that place was popping, dude. There's a line to get in. Like, they actually, like, they have a bouncer at the door to, to that, that had to wait till people left before he can let more people in, you know, keep track of the number of people there. And it was really, really neat. And again, arcade and alcohol is, like, one of the greatest combinations right now because all the people who really appreciate arcades are old, and so, like, <laughs> you got a good combination going there, uh, to be honest with you. But again, I, I've talked about this on Twitter before. I've talked about this on stream. But arcades, there's nothing like it, man. The feeling of arcades and the the absolute... Wait, were, Jotaro Star Platinum, were you there? Were, are you, were you one of the Portland guys watching Justin win 40 matches in third strike? Uh... Was that you, uh, Jose? <laughs> oh, it's Efren. Okay, okay, got it, got it. Okay, there you go, there you go. But yeah, no, that's one of them I've talked about a lot, Forrest, is that when you're outside of an arcade, usually you can't hear much, but as soon as you cross that door threshold, the cacophony of sounds just kind of overwhelms you, and there's still something about that that just brings this weird feeling of butterflies when you go in there, there's just like, as you get closer, it gets louder and louder, and then you cross the threshold. Walking into an arcade always felt like I was going into some sort of magic portal, because that's what arcades were, man. Like, and, and just the absolute beauty of, of that environment. And again, to me, video games are a social thing because of that, right? Because I had always played in the arcades, you know, the video games are social. Like, it's weird how people are like, why would anyone want to watch you play video games on Twitch? But even in arcades, dude, like I said, when I used to beat Dragon's Lair or Super Mario Brothers in the arcade, like, I was this little kid standing on a stool to reach the joystick. And, uh, like, I was super young and I was beating all these games that a lot of people couldn't beat. And most people would be watching. And you'll see it a lot of times in a lot of, uh, Arcade cabinets, they develop that TV that can sit on top of the arcade cabinets so people can watch from afar so no one had to crane their necks around these things. Those inventions didn't come because for no reason. They came because people like watching, man. People really, really, really like watching fighting games. Um, 
I'm sorry, just like watching video games. You know, with the fighting game era, it became even more popular to watch. And so a lot of fighting game cabinets had those TVs on top, but fighting games certainly didn't uh, usher in or invent those TVs on top of the cabinet. They were very, very popular for a lot of the biggest games at arcades. Uh, and it's always been that way. People have been watching other people play video games for the longest time. And arcades are just such a unique environment. And, you know, I, I really genuinely feel awful for people who haven't ever experienced the true arcade experience. Uh, nowadays, you've got the round ones and stuff like that, and those are close. But, like, there's just something about that, like an Aladdin's Castle or even just like a mini golf arcade you know, those things are just, oh, man. <laughs> Rama says, I remember people used to watch me play Crazy Taxi. Dude, that's how me and my brother got good. I've told this story many times. My mom would give us both $1 to go and play. And I mean $1 to split between us. So we had two quarters each to play video games. And most of the times we didn't play. We just stood by the side of the cabinet and watched experts play. And the experts would always find it funny. They thought we were adorable and they would give us advice. We would ask questions and they would give us tips. And then when we did finally play, we knew a lot of the tricks and we were very good already. <laughs> Do not talk to me about Crazy Climber, Exilian. <laughs> I was never good at Crazy Climber a long time ago. My recent obsession with that game is very recent, okay? <laughs> But that's because as a kid, that game was always intimidating and never made any sense to me. And now as I'm older, I actually can play the game. And so uh, that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm obsessed with it right now. Uh, right, so Tiny Texas, even as an introvert, I could never remember being bored or low on energy in the arcade. And that's one of the things about it. It's, 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 it's literally electric inside, you know what I mean? And, and as an introvert, it still let you be that way. Because even if you were playing the game and everyone was watching you, as an introvert, that's perfect. Introvert doesn't mean you hate being around people or you don't like to be in social situations. Introvert basically means that you have trouble interacting with people. Being an introvert means you feel awkward interacting with people. But if you're in an arcade and you're playing and people are watching you, as an introvert, that's actually a wonderful form of social interaction and probably gave introverts a lot of good interaction, social interaction that they kind of needed in a way that was palatable to them. Yeah, Tiny Tech says interacting is draining. I've said this many times, a lot of times when I'm hanging out in post FGC events and stuff like that, there is a point where you will see me shut down all of a sudden. Like I'll be talking at the dinner and everyone's talking, then all of a sudden I'm just on my phone and then everybody is just like talking and I just like kind of zone myself out of everything. And the reason why is because as, I, as when people are like, hey James, are you all right? I basically say to them that my, my introvert battery needs to be recharged or or my introvert uh level has is full and i need to empty it out by finding some time by myself uh and stuff like that so that's why arcades were great for introverts 
Yeah, big for Lil. So, for example, Yipes is an introvert. He's the loudest guy in the room, but after he does his comms, you can see him run off and go and do his own thing. I talked to Yipes about that. I talked to him, and he was like, oh, 100%, I'm an introvert. And, you know, for me, I'm like, what? That's so weird. But, you know, I'm sure a lot of people think the same thing about me, right? You see me at events. I'm like, yeah, oh, my God, exciting. And I'm talking to everybody at events because I'm trying to be friendly. But, like, honestly, uh, I am super, super introverted, always been an introvert. Uh, yeah, see, even Liquid Snake says, never thought that I would be an introvert. Uh, I didn't take the test recently, uh, but I was definitely an I when I did take the test. But I've always been that way. I always prefer being by myself, but I'm great at being around people. But like I said, I just run out of batteries at some point in time. And I, I can't do it. I, I just can't do it. You know, right? So Mike Lee says, but in the arcade, I'm interacting and being social, but not talking to people. You know, and that's great. Like if I play DDR and someone's watching me play DDR, I think that's cool. But I don't have to interact with them, and that that kind of is is a is a is a nice way to be as an introvert. You get the social interaction without draining your batteries. You know, it's interesting. Who was the most extrovert person in the FTC that I know? I mean, I want to say Tasty Steve. <laughs> but even Tasty Steve, I know, will get those introvert moments, right? But, again, he is an extrovert. L.I. Joe, maybe. But, see, again, a lot of these people do, I know, like their quiet personal time, to be honest with you. It's really interesting. Oh, but Duck Helmet, like, if you say, I never really thought about it, but I definitely get worn out around people after a few hours and just want to be home. 100% you're an introvert. You're also an artist, too. So you enjoy your quiet time drawing and stuff like that. And 100% you're an introvert. Like, I don't even need you to take the test. And I probably could have told you you were an introvert a long time ago. <laughs> but, um, uh, oh, okay, yeah, let's move on to this other question. Uh, Nito Queen has asked this question a couple of times here. It says, a lot of people were left out of the SF6 beta. They weren't happy. You think the next beta will be closed again? Does this hurt the game, risk isolation of players? So will the next SF6 beta be closed again? Uh, most likely not. Most likely not. Um, because, like I said, I'm pretty sure this beta was to test specific things. Uh, there might be a second closed beta, but if that's the case, it's because they haven't gotten all the information they needed out of the first closed beta. Uh, the hope is that it won't be because, yes, an open beta would be more important. However, the first one was a closed beta because they were trying to specifically test netcode. And they were probably trying to test a lot of the features and see how the battle hub handled everything. Because if you did an open beta and let's say the servers exploded, the matchmaking servers and the battle hub servers exploded, you don't test anything. Like literally, here's this giant game that you're testing and one feature, how the servers handle it, can block the entire testing of all those features. So you set up a closed beta specifically so that you could test this. And once you're sure most of this works, then you can go for the open beta. And now if the servers explode, you can fix the server side and you already know a lot of the other stuff actually worked, right? Yeah, we all hope they improve the menus for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. 
But, you know, if they do a closed beta too, uh, they will add, probably add a lot more people. Uh, but I'm hoping the next one will be an open beta because people deserve to have a chance to try this out and play it. And they do need to test their server load. They need to make sure their servers can handle the load of requests. And Street Fighter VI is not going to be some small little game, okay? Like, the amount of server load Street Fighter VI is going to get is going to way exceed anything that, like, the KOF beta did. Maybe even the Strive. The Strive had a big server load, but, you know, Street Fighter VI is like another beast right now, honestly. Like, I haven't seen this much excitement and hype over a fighting game in a long time, and it's really, really cr crazy. I have, I didn't have a chance to play Extreme Battle uh, Psychodomo, but again, the peer-to-peer -peer is only once the people match up, and that's what they were testing with the closed beta. Um, now with an open beta, they can test the server-side stuff. None of that is peer-to-peer. -peer. None of that is peer-to-peer. The server has to take two requests and go, oh, you two want to fight, here, connect to this guy, then it turns them into peer-to-peer. -peer. The match itself is peer-to-peer, -peer, and once it's done, the both players go back to the server and go, hey, you know that match with the ID number of blah between these two players with their ID numbers? Here's the result. And then the server records that and all of the data that was collected, basically. But up until then, it's not peer-to-peer. Uh, should Capcom make fighting games free to play? So let's see, should Capcom make fighting games free to play? Uh, if they have a good model for it, absolutely. Fighting games, one of the hardest things right now is that people haven't quite figured out the right model uh, to do this because free to play is a great idea only if your game has good ways for people to spend money. If you do not create your game with a good way for people to spend money, you will lose a lot of money. <laughs> so if Street Fighter VI can somehow come out and, you know, the Battle Hub stuff, instead of giving you, you know, uh, drive cash or whatever money, Zenny, stuff like that, that people had to buy the gear and stuff like that, perhaps that would be a good way to go. But uh, right now, it doesn't look like it's going that direction, but it definitely has the potential to go that direction in the future. But again, you have to be smart enough to create the right model. It's not just about making a game free to play and just deciding whether to do that or not. It's how do you make sure that the free to play model is sustainable? Because again, while we would love for fighting game devs to make their games for us for free and, you know, be nice enough to lose money and keep making the game, it's not realistic. So hopefully that they will keep making the game. Uh, Petty says in the chat here, not a question, but I just want to let you know I've been a fan of yours since Evo Street Fighter 4. Your passionate hype during commentary was so infectious. That got me into watching more fighting game tournaments and such. So again, thank you. And I appreciate that, Petty, because that's basically what I'm trying to do as a commentator, right? Like, I'm trying to just... That's why I want to be a commentator, because I'm still the biggest fighting game fanboy out there. And all I want to do is just show why they're fun and hype. So if that is what's coming through, then I'm doing what I'm <laughs> trying to do. <laughs> I'm succeeding in what I'm trying to do. 
what are the best ways, asks Shay, to get casuals more competitive? We'll just say that much. We'll just say it that way. What are the best ways to get casuals more competitive? Uh, you know, just make sure that you have the ability for the players to have fun while they're losing. Uh, that's really just kind of what it comes down to. So, like, if they have it so that you're getting battle points to buy gear um, in the in Street Fighter VI, even when you're losing, that's a nice thing. But also, just making sure the game has a lot of different fun ways to play the game because and let people grow at their own pace. One of the hardest things about a lot of fighting games is that literally the only way to play it is through ranked or finding competition, et cetera, et cetera. But if there are lots of casual, fun ways to play, extreme mode, for example, uh, that's a great way to get people in there. But as other people, I think Duck Helmet even said himself, the best way to get more casuals interested in fighting competitive side of fighting games, have good net code. <laughs> Probably one of the best ways to do it, uh, honestly. Um... Uh, Zigzag asks if a new Darkstalkers game came out, who would you want to play? I'd probably play Felicia or Bishamon, but again, I'm scared of a new Darkstalkers game, so I don't necessarily want one. Uh, so Exilian asks, what do you think will happen with fighting games in PS5 not letting players use legacy controllers? Um, let's see. What uh, do I think will happen with no legacy controllers on PS5. Uh, it's a bad situation. However, probably going to do well for Brooke. <laughs> All right. Brooke or, you know, maybe some other people who might want to create like Brooke-like devices, Exilion, if you know any of them. Uh, if you know anybody else who might be trying to make their own Brooke adapters or anything like that. But I think those are going to be really, really, really important. Uh, to be honest with you, I think that's that's going to be the best way for a lot of people to uh, survive in this next generation. That's going to be something that's important because a lot of people were doing that even with PS3 to PS4. One of my friends really kind of wanted to mess with the new KOF and stuff. And he asked me what to do. And I just I sent him to Brooks and he had his PS3 stick and he was able to to use it at that point. So. Uh, Forrest, we're not talking about like using drive cache to make your DI faster and stuff. No, we don't want stuff like that to happen at all. <laughs> but I think uh, that's probably the best way to do it um, is to is to uh, rely on those companies to be able to provide us with the adapters and stuff. Because again, joysticks are expensive; they're a tough investment. It's either that or have it so that if someone out there can care enough to make a driver that accepts the old joysticks like uh, Mike Z originally did with um, uh, Mike Z did with, uh, you know, Skullgirls and then let everybody use that driver um, without that, like, um, without that, then Brook adapters are the only way to go, uh, honestly. Uh, Tree Fox asks me, uh, what fighting game collection do, do I want to see next? All right. So, 
There's two ways to answer this question, Tree Fox. There's two ways to answer this question. There's the pipe dream, and then there's the reality answer. Those are the two answers that we have here. The pipe dream answer is the Capcom Marvel collection, right? The dream is Children of the Atom, Marvel superheroes, X-Men versus Street Fighter, uh, Marvel versus Street Fighter, Marvel versus Capcom 1, and Marvel versus Capcom 2. That is the dream one. And then add a training mode into it, and that would be it right there. Like, if you released that and had a training mode so I could finally have access to an easy training mode for Children of the Atom, Marvel Superheroes, X-Men vs. Street Fighter, you may never see me ever again. You may never see me ever again. Because I will just be in training mode for those games forever. Forever, ever, 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 ever. So, that is the dream right there. That's the pipe dream one. The one that is, um, UM at VC3 would be too difficult to put in there. I mean, you could, but like, it's just, it's easier if you just stick to the CPS2 slash Naomi kind of things, right? The real answer that I have of something that actually likely could happen, uh, some people have already kind of hinted at it, but a Capcom 3D fighting collection is what I want, is which, which would have Rival Schools, Rival Schools 2, uh, Star Gladiator, uh, Plasma Sword, Power Stone 1, Power Stone 2, uh, maybe EX, because that is uh, Arika, Arika, which is a different, uh, different company. Uh, but if they could add that in there, that would be great. Dude, why not? Final Fight Revenge. I've never played it. I think that would be super cool. <laughs> I would be down to mess with that game. But yeah, Tech Romancer, yes, exactly, exactly. So, you know, that would actually be really cool. I would love to see a Capcom 3D fighting collection next. I would definitely be happy with that. I mean, Bloody Roar is not Capcom <laughs> mayo on rice, so uh, that wouldn't be able to fit on there, unfortunately. But, I mean, honestly, the fact that Capcom comes out with these things is great. I would love a Virtua Fighter collection with VF1, 2, 3, 4. Like, can you imagine? Like, that would be sick. A Tekken 1, 2, 3, tag 4, 5 collection or something like that, you know? Uh, uh, oh, Tech Romancer isn't Capcom. Oh, so they just licensed all the, they, wait, what, what is TRF then? I'm confused. <laughs> uh, tech Romancer is the Rumblefish, the Rumblefish. Okay, 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 okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Someone mentioned Rumblefish up there. I, I missed that. I missed that, so. Um... I mean, look how popular a lot of these old games end up on Fightcade, right? If you actually made an official one with, like, matchmaking and stuff, you know, I mean, Fightcade is easy to set up, easy as hell to set up right now. They've made it so easy to set up, so not hard to do, but um, uh, something to consider. Uh, a lot of good questions here. Let me make sure I get to some of these. Let me ask this one. Uh... Well, I'll just answer this one quickly. Is there a way Capcom could run a closed beta while still making the offline content available for anyone who doesn't get in so that I can lab Kimberly? No, because there's no reason for them to do that. 
they're just giving away a game at that point. Betas, the whole point is the stress test things. <laughs> okay, Imbecile asks, honest opinion on 3S Perry and characters. So again, uh, I watched an FCCC translated clip of Daigo, and he said his first impre impression of Street Fighter 3 was, it was a game where you just do mix-ups, and it almost seems like a pseudo 3D game at times. So again, people, you know, I I'm famously not one of the people who's all up on uh, Street Fighter Third Strike, as a lot of other people are. I I'm famous for saying that I really don't like the characters of Third Strike. Uh, because they're all just weirdos and freaks, and I'm, I'm less of a fan of having, like, weirdos and freaks, you know, like the Necros and Twelves and, 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 and Q and, you know, like, Oro and, like, what the hell is even happening over here? Like, I'm not necessarily a fan of those characters. I do like Makoto. I think Dudley is still one of the best fighting game characters like Capcom has ever made. So I do like some of the Street Fighter 3 characters, but it's so half and half for me uh, that I can't say overall I like it. I've never been a fan of the parry system because I think the parry system is just too strong. Obviously, the game is designed in a way that you can defeat parry, but what I mean by that is just the parry is just basically the answer to everything uh, except for throws, right? Like, how do you stop a cross-up? Parry? How do you stop an anti-air parry? How do you anti-air parry? How do you beat a meaty parry? How do you stop a projectile parry? <laughs> like, I, that's what I don't like about it. And I don't think the risk-reward was as good as it should have been. Like, I really think parry should be more like Gil's parry in Street Fighter V, that there's a window afterwards that can be punished. However, you know, including, for example, this weekend, watching... Justin Wong beat up on these people for 40 games in a row and dude some guy could have played Justin forever you know if if I didn't was like I need to go home because uh, I need to commentate early tomorrow you know that guy probably would have played Justin until ground control actually closed right yeah how do you avoid chip death parry everything's parry everything is parry right but here's the thing though there's something about parry despite the fact that it is very difficult to time. And it's a very weird, esoteric, kind of like vague, not really clearly defined mechanic that everybody freaking loves. And this guy who was getting murdered by Justin basically was trying to parry everything. And every time he parried anything, you could tell he felt like, like, I parried Justin Wong. Like, even though he, like, won two rounds out of, like, 30 games, like, getting one parry is such a euphoric, such a high, and then if you get the punish off of it, it's one of the greatest feelings ever. Parry is one of the most brilliant mechanics for onboarding players, honestly, because people love it. Dude, they love it. People want to parry all day because it's it's put placed out as this very difficult thing to do, right? Like, when you think about parry, the first thing you think is parries are hard. You have to predict. You have to know. And not, like, it's presented as this way that it's super hard, but then when you get it, you feel like a god, you know? And so, like, parry honestly is 
one of the smartest mechanics uh, in the game. I mean, is it the FGC equivalent of heroin? Maybe. <laughs> like, it really is something that onboards players really, really well. And casuals, I mean, like, my two best friends who would play each other in fighting games, like, they played Street Fighter Three at the at the mini golf, uh, and all they would do is just try to do is, like, parry necro electricity. Like, they would just intentionally be like, all right, just do the electricity. Parry, 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 parry. You know, like, that's what basically they wanted to do. And there's just something about that. Despite the fact that the window is like 13 frames or whatever for parries or 11 frames, I don't remember exactly. But there's something about it that's just so addicting. And, 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 and even as something that's difficult, the difficulty lies that comes in from the opposing player and you know how a lot of people say the reason why fighting game oh 10 frames a lot of people say the reason why fighting games are hard is because when you play a team game you can always blame your teammate well parries always give you an excuse they always give you i totally parried that i saw that i totally parried that like Parry is like euphoria, a great excuse, etc., etc. Like he, <laughs> parries are like perfect, a perfect mechanic for a lot of that, dude. So you, it's like it's it's such a great way to get people to play, and you see it to this day. And now that third strike, on top of everything, has this reputation of legendary status. That's why it's so popular at old school arcade get-togethers, etc., etc. And Razalicious adds, it's not that hard to understand. Pairing and fighting games is psychologically positive. Feeling like you've correctly predicted an opponent's move and potentially gaining a critical advantage is a very powerful and seductive feeling. Right, CVS2 parry isn't as good because the window is significantly smaller in CVS2. And so uh, it's harder to parry in that game. So they found this really nice little center, uh, like this middle ground between making it difficult and not brain dead. And the funny thing is, like, like, look, every one of us has done it. Like, accidentally parried something and then did this sick combo afterwards because you were just going to walk forward and you look like a god and you will never, ever, ever admit that you did not mean to parry because that shit just feels too good. It just feels too good. <laughs> it's just so good. Uh, SF4 focus isn't a parry because you can hold it, right? There's something about the fact that you know it's a small window, like one-sixth of a second, that makes it so that it's, like, really, really appealing. The, the, the problem with focus is that you focus, you're stuck, and then you can cancel out of it. So the risks really aren't as there, you know, uh, to be honest with you. And so, yeah, again, parries, like, I don't personally like parries, but I think parries one of the best mechanics ever. And in fact, I had said before we knew anything about Street Fighter VI, if I was going to make Street Fighter VI, I would have brought back parries. Even though I don't like parries, I would have brought it back because I thought it would have been a good time. Every three Street Fighter games, make it the parry game again. You know, I think that would be kind of neat. Uh, they did put in perfect parries into Street Fighter VI, but again, that's two-frame window, which is a far cry from a 10-frame window, so very, very different. Um, so again, 
you know, even though I personally don't like parries as a mechanic, but again, it's not that I hate parries. It's just the I, I don't like the way in particular they're implemented in Third Strike. If there was more of a, uh, even like Yadagarasu, which is largely based off of Third Strike, uh, even if, you know, they turn parry into a button, like that's a little different too, because now you can't accidentally parry. Right? That's why Yadagrasu put parry buttons in the game, because the parries then have to be intentional. And not only that, but as soon as you press the button, then you're locked out of being able to parry again for a certain amount of frames. They were able to tweak it that way. So even if there was a parry button, like Yadagrasu did, would be better, you know, or like I said, make everybody's like gills so that you try to parry, but then you have a whiff, etc., etc. And and yeah, and, and and again, when you look at the tier list for Street Fighter Third Strike, even the the best players will tell you this: like your tier tier placement is largely dependent on how well you can blow up parries, right? Chun, her Kara throw mixed with the crouching medium kick threat was so high that she blew up parries. Yun, Ganajin, blew up parries, right? Having unblockables, you know, fought parries really nicely to have. Dudley with the overhead, you know, overhead low mix-up. Makoto with the command throw mix-up. You know, having the ability to defeat parries was important. One of the reasons why 12 is so bad is because he has no easy hit confirmable way to do a middle attack into super. Um, he could do low confirm into super, but not a middle one, so he couldn't really blow up your parries very well. And so the tier list is almost entirely based on how well you can blow up parries, and parries were so dominant that that just meant wherever you were on the tier list, you were worse than the characters who could beat up parries better than you because technically parries on defense make everybody kind of the same character. So, you know, if you're under uh, at a certain point on the list, you lost to everyone above you and beat everyone below you. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of thing, right? Yeah, uh, yes, Imbecile, he has the standing medium kick jump cancel into the air super. He, or, or even ground super. But again, very difficult to hit confirm. Uh, very, very difficult to hit confirm if, if, if I'm uh, uh, not mistaken in any case. Mm, I mean, Dudley, like I said, is like one of my all-time favorite fighting game characters in Street Fighter history. Like, in terms of Street Fighter, Dudley is one of my favorite characters of all time. Um, but yeah, uh, that's the thing about Perry's being too strong, right? And again, Third Strike put everything into the including the kitchen sink on how to beat parries, right? With universal overheads and certain moves that would clearly be too cheap in any other game, but it, it makes sense that it that it works that way. So uh, in Third Strike, um, right? And there's that additional thing that Mike Lee says. It's like it's not really hit confirmable and. 12 very rarely can get into that position where he can actually perform that mix-up. Just like I was saying, like, if you play KOF, you'd 15, you'll be surprised at how rarely you can be right next to somebody and hit them with a crouching light kick. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about uh, Third Strike Parry and characters. Again, Parry is not a mechanic that I like because of its relative safeness in third strike and that's even why they had to make it so that if you get hit while crouching you reeled for one extra frame because they wanted to punish you a little bit for missing the down parry it's only one frame 
but there are certain combos that literally only combo on a, on hit on a crouching opponent. And so they actually, you know, tried to even add that little negativeness to it. But again, I, I, if they implement it a little differently, I, I enjoy parries, but it is also, and it does more damage, according to Imbecile. Yes, I remember that now. Yeah, you take more damage while crouching. But if you can, if, like I said, it's, it's one of the best onboarding mechanics because for some reason, it is one of the most intuitive mechanics to try to, at last second, walk into something. I don't know why. But there has not been like a single person that I've ever seen go, hey, this is how you parry. And they're like, this is too hard. I can't do this. Like everybody I know was like, I want to try. I want to try. I want to try. Like everybody wants to parry. Everybody wants to parry, dude. <laughs> My girl wants to parry all the time. Parry all the time. You know, everyone wants to parry. I mean, honestly, that's just this is how it works. And there's something euphoric, and the endorphins that you get from it are so so powerful. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so Tree Fox asks, uh, what character archetypes? Do I gravitate towards? Uh, and which do I have most issues with? Uh, I gravitate towards a lot of things. I like active characters. I like characters that are always doing something. Rushdown characters, and even though it seems like they don't, but grapplers are always thinking the entire time on how to try to get in on the opponent. But I do like uh, those, and I, I like zoners for the same reason, because they, they're, they're the ones that try to, you know, that you're thinking all the time, and you have to really try to outguess your opponents. Uh, I, I have trouble with characters that bore me, honestly. It, it, they, there's characters that really bore me. Um, uh, that's why I left Street Cammy in Street Fighter V. I'm not thinking when I play her. There's nothing to think like, what is there to think? Just keep hitting buttons and pressure. Low strong, low strong, stand strong, dive kick. Like, <laughs> I just, I just, I don't enjoy Cammy in that game. And so even though Lucia's bad, she's just got all these different mechanics and combo routes. And, you know, her playing style is very interesting and unique and very spacing dependent. And so it's something that I like to play. I like playing characters who have very strong, who have to focus on footsies. If you watch the way I play Cammy and ST, it's a very footsie-based way I play. It's why I like playing Zangief, because I like playing the Zangief footsies, uh, to be honest with you. So, again, I, those are the kind of characters that I like. And yeah, even though zoning isn't footsies, but there's still something fun about trying to predict where people are going and trying to meet them there ahead of time. Uh, so I, it's not even really any particular archetypes that I enjoy more, but I just like characters that are doing stuff. The reason why I picked Johnny in Guilty Gear and wanted to keep playing him is because of the mist canceling. That's all that took, That that's what attracted me to Johnny, is that I knew I could just sit there and mist cancel all day. And that, that's fun to me, and it's probably why I gravitated towards Guy and Maki and now Kimberly, because they do have a lot of the run, the run game and stuff like that. And it's, it's just it's really fun 
uh, for that reason. I mean, Fong, honestly, is a character that I might have liked uh, Liquid Snake if I really wanted to put time into it. But, you know, he was always bad, and I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. And then I ended up playing Lucia, so <laughs> joke's on me. <laughs> oh, man, God. <sighs> but, um... I mean, there, Eno is another one, but she's just a little too good in, uh, oh, in Exert, I'm sorry. She's a little too good in Exert. She's too good in Exert. Oh, God, it's such a pain to play against a good Eno when you're, when you're playing a fighting game, play against Eno, especially in a game where throws are one frame and options selected with a heavy punch. And so anytime you try to burst out of her combos, she's just doing dashing heavy anyway. And so you burst and get thrown and you're just like, really? And then they gave her an air command throw because, because why would you give her an air command throw? It's like, like if you give Eno an air command throw, you might as well give Leo a command throw while he's back turned. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> Man, <laughs> uh, uh, imagine a Johnny player saying another character is too good. That's fair. I never got good enough at Johnny to feel that way, uh, to be honest with you, Mike. Uh, but yeah, of course, Johnny's... That's kind of one of the reasons why I feel like I should go back to Exert. Because at least if I'm playing, then I know I'm using a good character, right? And that's what tier lists are best for. Knowing where a character is on the tier list is mainly there just to tell you if you're struggling a little bit more because of the character or if it's really all your fault. <laughs> so when I'm losing with Lucia, it's clearly not my fault and it's all Lucia's fault. But if I'm losing with Johnny, Clearly, it's entirely my fault, and so I know I just have to get better. To be honest with you, that's a powerful weapon to have. Don't mock it. Playing a top-tier character and knowing that you're losing when somebody else plays the same characters as you and destroys people. Like, if you play Luke in 5 and you're not winning, you know you need to improve your fighting game skills. Like, that's just it. Like, there's just nothing you can say at that point in time. So, uh, or, yeah, the other player's cheating. <laughs> As VTN Wesley says, for sure. Uh, man. Uh, let me answer this question here from uh, Prowler PX here. What makes a character, quote, Oonga Boonga? Oonga um, uh, Boonga is, of course, you know, basically... This all comes from the Geico commercials, right? Unga Bunga is, you know, what cavemen say. Unga Bunga, Unga Bunga, right? Like, and then uh, it's so easy a caveman can do it. So characters that are Unga Bunga are characters that kind of like are auto mix up, you know, that just kind of like mash their face and things kind of happen. So uh, Leo in Exert is the original Unga Bunga character because, again, Leo is a character that if you do not know how to IB, He's the kind of character that kind of forces you to IB. Like, other good Guilty Gear Exit players will tell you, you mostly do not need to learn IBs, instant blocking, against most characters at first. You can play them and fight them. But Leo is like the exception. Like, he's a character that if you don't know how to IB, like, you are just going to get run over. And so he, he's just like, mix up the character. 
Do you, if you attack, I can parry it. If you block low, I can overhand you. If you block high, I can low you. All lead to huge damage. You know, so that's kind of what they consider him as an Unga Bunga character, basically. So uh, basically, it just means that your character is super, super good. Hi, Nathan. Sorry, people listening on the podcast. My boy Nathan has jumped on the stream, and so I will be kissing him. He missed me so much, and I missed you. He's like, I didn't miss you that much. Get me out of here. <laughs> oh, man. Who is more Unga Bunga, Nathan or Jasmine, as case money? Nathan, free. Nathan for free. Jasmine is a, is, a, is a thinking cat. Nathan just does whatever. Uh, you are an unga bunga cat. Unga bunga cat. Unga bunga cat. Oh, Razalicious has a, has a meaty question here. Uh, please discuss the topic of nature versus nurture. Who have been the most naturally gifted players in the FGC throughout the years? Conversely, who has been the most studious players that have achieved great success? If you were to create two teams to pit against one another, who would win and why? Nature versus nurture in the FGC. Uh, discuss. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna put here in the as the topic over here. Um, the most naturally gifted players. Uh, it's a really good question. Like we sit here and say, you know, Xiao Hai is a freak of nature. But he's been playing ever since he was a little kid. That's why he's named Xiao Hai. Because Xiao Hai in Chinese, Xiao Hai, literally means child, kid. He's, his nickname is The Kid. He was playing fighting games since he was really little, and he got really good at him. But he's definitely been putting in the time. Sonic Fox, Exilian actually puts into the chat as well. We don't even necessarily know that. Sonic Fox has an older brother in Quiggle who was one of the best K uh, DOA players and probably played with Sonic Fox when he was a little kid forever. And so Sonic Fox probably grew up when he was very young playing fighting games in the era in which you soak in information the most. And so, yeah, absolutely. Sonic Fox looks like a nature, but he could also be... I'm sorry... Sonic Fox absolutely looks like a nature, but they could obviously be very much nurture as well. We're, again, that's something that we'd have to talk to them about to figure out. Uh, Chris G, nope, Chris G is not a natural either. Uh, Twitch Graphics 16, Justin would tell me stories of when Chris G would first start showing up to uh, Chinatown Fair and just basically get their ass whooped uh, for the longest of time before they got even remotely good. And so, again, Chris G, not necessarily a natural either. Tokido, no. Tokido had to learn fundamentals in Street Fighter 4. I've told the story. He used to just rely on whatever was the cheapest and got him by and got him wins with the least amount of effort. That's what Tokido did. That's how he won all of his fighting games. And then when Akuma got nerfed, he forced himself to learn fundamentals and actually got stronger that way. So no, Tokido is also not an answer. 
Um, Justin, again, tells the story all the time. Would have to go to Chinatown Fair, play when nobody was there, go to the liquor store or wherever else, the comic book store, and play against the computer to learn all the combos and everything because he was really, really bad at first. So again, uh, a lot of players are not necessarily nature as much as people think. And again, I was, I even tweeted this out because, uh, with the topic of AI art, uh, I started talking about this. I think a, I think AI art is deplorable. Okay, let's just get that out of the way right away, so you know exactly where I stand. I think AI art is terrible, but there's this kind of uh, narr- narrative that we talk about in the world of art that we talk about. Uh, Gifted people all the time, people born with talent that uh, they have, you know, like, oh, my God, this artist is amazing. You know, you see all these biopics where it's just like someone's magical. They just start singing and everyone's like, oh, my God, this is the most crazy thing. Or like this person was born to sing or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's this narrative of people being lucky to be born with talent. Right. Right. And so what happens is that there's this over, there's this jealousy, there's this level of jealousy that crops up now from people who can't draw, who can't play music, who can't sing, etc., etc., that, you know, for AI art, like, I feel like that's where most proponents of AI art people come from, is that they're bitter and they're jealous, that they're mad that the world screwed them out of being able to draw, hello, go to art school and draw for 20 years, um, you know, that most of the great artists do, right? There's this weird inherent jealousy that they can't draw and they feel like the people who can draw got lucky. Like how many people are like, it took you five minutes to draw that. Why should I pay you $200 for your art commission? Because you're paying for the 20 years of study that came before that. But a lot of people don't see that. They just see you draw it and you're just like, God, Hungry Clicker was probably born with a pen out of out of the womb. And he was he probably drew who won Evo 20, you know, 20, 2002 when he was like two years old or something like that. Right. And so what a lot of people think to themselves is that you got lucky with the ability to draw. Now I have this AI art thing and I can do comparable work and to them it feels like it's fair because now they can draw. But what the craziest thing about it is, the craziest thing about that whole entire thing is that what do the proponents of AI art do? They try to attribute it to talent because this is the narrative that we've taught people in the world. We've taught people that talent is this powerful thing and makes you good. And, you know, so what do these people do? Do you know how much work it took me to come up with the prompts? Do you know, like, not anybody could just come up with the prompts to produce this image. Like, the people who are pro-AI art try to turn it into talent. They try to turn it into a talent. They try to justify their AI art skills by prompting talent. 
because that's what everybody has been brainwashed into believing in that it's always talent, it's talent, it's talent. You were born with it, you were born that you're lucky. So if you can create this talent, if you can create this AI art, you deserve to create it because you have prompt writing talent that is fair with the artists who were born with their drawing talent. But guess what? They weren't born with their drawing talent. Now, some people are more visual and some people are going to be better at it. 100%. My brother was a great artist. Even as a little child, he was drawing dinosaurs and, and all these things. And he, he just picked up on a lot of things. It took me a long time to try to learn how to draw to the level that my brother did. My brother is a fantastic artist and talent definitely exists. Nature definitely exists, but it will very rarely be at the level that makes it so that you come out and you're able to do the things that these professional artists do on day one, just because in a way that you can't explain it. Like, I don't know. I just started drawing and it would come out that way. Like, that's not how it works. Like, even if you are talented, that's not how it works. And so, you know, in the nature of fighting games, like my whole thing is that I keep trying to argue to people that anybody can learn to play fighting games. You know, one of the questions that was asked, um, uh, dude, AI replacing extras and entertainment. Oh God, dude, that's a scary thought, Kuro. <laughs> but again, like, you know, uh, what was I saying uh, about the, the, the talent? Yeah, practice, practice. Oh, that's what I was saying. I was asked about the opposite side of things and that who are players that put in a lot of the effort, right? So one of my favorite ones that I've liked to talk about this whole entire time was um, uh, 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 801 Strider. 801 Strider, I remember when he used to travel to California with iPeru, and they would play Street Fighter 4. He was an able player. iPeru was a fuerte player, and iPeru was the stronger player. iPeru was definitely the stronger player, and 801 Strider, while good, was just a gatekeeper level. He was just gatekeeper level. Like, he was not Capcom Pro Tour level. But as the years kept going, I kept seeing him grow and get stronger. And I even talked to him about it one time. I was like, I hope you don't mind that I keep using you as an example of the people who put in the work to get to the point where he got in the Capcom Cup and was really scary. And he was like, nah, man. He was like, 100%. This, this was not natural to me. I had to put in so much work. Like... If you didn't know about that backstory and you just started seeing 801 Strider come out of nowhere killing everyone with Abel all day, you would have been like, oh my God, this guy's so talented. But like, honestly, so many people have put in work in there. So nature exists for sure. Is someone like Sonic Fox probably a little more uh, geared towards fighting games? Probably. Probably that was something that they're going to be able to get into easier than somebody else who grew up with the exact same background, with the exact same older brother Quiggle making them play DOA with them when they were kids. For sure, some people will be able to get better at it than others. Talent exists. It is a thing. The brain is a very weird thing. But again, to credit talent as the majority of people's success, I think is one of the toughest things out there, right? Think about all the rich people out there, right? That they're always like, look at the struggle that I went through to get where I am. Like everybody, 
always tries to like attribute it to 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 something you know like there, there's just such a situation that you're born into sometimes that can affect the outcome but again like the amount of work that a lot of people do put in when you know even if they aren't talented i think it is a a, a, a a very important thing to talk about, right? It's a very, very important thing to talk about. Everyone who wants to attribute their success when they didn't actually do anything, try very hard to attribute it to something. And that's where like a lot of those AI artists go, right? So uh, I, I was told I'm pitch perfect while I was a kid, but that doesn't mean I can pick up an instrument and play like a pro. I can't play music at all, says K. John. Exactly. And in fact, Chinese people are actually more likely to be more pitch perfect. And you're going to be like, oh, is it a gene? Is it something that's inside, uh, inherent in Chinese people? No, it's because our entire language is tonal. Our entire language is tonal. So we just grow up our entire lives paying attention to tone. <laughs> It's all we do. If I say mama, mama, I know that means my mom scolds a horse. And that's because I'm paying attention to tone. <laughs> like nature, nurture has so much to do with so much that a lot of people uh, don't understand. Yes, Cantonese is very, very difficult, uh, 100%. But yeah, uh, that's the thing, right? So... It, there's so much of it is nurture. And so for fighting games, I really do feel like, you know, nurture is going to be more important. So even if, uh, even if, even if you feel like you have no natural talent for fighting games, you can get there. It's just that you might have to dedicate a little more time than other people. And what's more important is that a lot of people who say, I can't get good at fighting games, I'm not good at them, don't realize that there's something else way more important in their life. And that's, that's how it works. You know, a lot of times you're like, man, I, I just can't get good at fighting games. I, I, I'm not born like Christy. Well, the amount of time you put into drawing, the amount of time you put into your craft at work, the amount of time that you put into learning how to paint a fence really well, like, that's the talent that you... I mean, look, cup stacking is a competition. Cup stacking is a competition. <laughs> right? I mean, you've seen probably the viral videos of the guy who's the fastest pizza box folder in the world. You think he was just born with the ability to fold pizza boxes? Or do you think he was just doing that forever for his whole entire life? Right? The pizza tossers. There's pizza tossing competitions one time i have hard contact lenses and my brother had hard got hard co hard contact lenses i used to have hard contact lenses and there was a contact and the, what i would do is the contact lens that was soaking in my little contact lens case i put it on the tip of my finger here and then i would do this and then i immediately had it upside down on my finger like i would just like boom shoom, shoom like this and that was it and it was already ready for me to put in there and when my brother got his hard contacts he saw me do that one time he was like how the hell did you do that and i was like do what 
I had been wearing contacts for so long through over the years, every single day of my life, trying to learn how to find a way to flip that contact lens that I just got to the point where I could do it in half a second, like literally dip in, boom, ready to put in like that. And it's just because I did it every single day. Right. And so a lot of people who are like, I can't get good at fighting games. It's because something else is more important to you. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's wonderful. Your skill level at that is going to be really high. But for someone like a Justin Wong, like Chris G, like fighting games is their life. And they've put a lot of time into it. Tokido decided to make fighting games his life and he's put a lot of time into it. That's why they're good. Again, another one of my favorite stories. Uh, and again, Zilcher, you'd be surprised. Everyone has a skill at something. Everyone has a skill at something. But there was the story, I think it was Ricky who told the story or something. But one of the first times they went to Japan, you know, Tokido lived with Mago, I believe it was, or some other people. And I can't remember if it was Mago or Tokido. I think it was Tokido. Or it might have been Mago, because Mago was the CVS2 Honda player. But the story was, let's just call it Tokido, because that's how I remember. It was probably Mago. Uh, but basically, one of them woke up to get ready for the day, and Tokido, or Mago, whoever it was, was practicing roll cancel spinning pile drivers with Honda. So in case you don't know how roll canceling works in CVS2, is you carrot cancel the first frame of the roll into a special move. The roll had invincibility on it, but it wasn't attached to the frames. And I think they did this so that they could actually change how the invincibility worked outside of tweaking the frame. So what would happen is, as soon as you rolled, it turned on this invincibility state for a certain amount, and then it went away. That was not tied to the frames. It had nothing to do with frame hitboxes. So if you can't cancel the roll into a special move, you would cancel from the roll into the special move, but the invincibility would continue to play. Yeah, I know I remember I told the story was Tokido, but I definitely could be wrong. Uh, so if you, the spinning pile driver whiff for Honda was shorter than the roll invincibility that Honda gained. So if you did roll cancel 360 with Honda, you would go oot, and then you would be invincible for a few frames while you walked. <laughs> so if you technically could roll cancel with Honda, you could go, you could be invincible forever. You could go, oot, 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 and be invincible forever. Now you're vulnerable to throws because rolls were throws, but that's what it is. And so the person woke up and saw Tokido or Mago practicing roll canceling hands. And then the person went out, spent the whole day out there, went to the arcades, did all this stuff, ate lunch, did stuff, ate dinner, did a bunch of stuff, sightsee, came back, and what did they see? The person still sitting there doing roll canceling 360s. And it's like, did you get up and eat or do anything? And they're like, no. <laughs> like, the guy literally sat there and just did roll cancel 360s for an for a day, <laughs> for a day, <laughs> right? Like that's literally what he did. And so, if you think that a lot of people are just gonna be good at fighting games because they're just naturally at it, uh, that's it's just it's not it's not the way it works. Nature 
is powerful, but nurture can overdo nature. Like nature, def, nurture definitely has the ability when it comes to learning things to overcome. You know, and and that and it's really one of the biggest powers of it. And it's 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 uh, that's my stance on the thing. A lot of people really believe that you're just never going to be talented enough to learn fighting games, and I just don't agree with that. I think if you wanted to get good at fighting games and it was your number one priority, you would get good at fighting games. Like, seriously, you would. You would absolutely be able to get to that point. Now, again, your nature may drive you towards one thing or another. Nature will maybe determine if you're more scientific or if you're more artistic, etc., etc. But that doesn't mean if you're like I'm. I don't know what I am. I loved to draw when I was growing up, but I'm also I, I I used to be great at math. So I always thought of myself as a science nerd. But then at the same time, am I am I like I don't know. Like, am I a, a science guy or am I an art guy? I've never been able to really truly understand which one I am because I really do think I'm both equally. Uh, to be honest with you, so. Again, I just I think people can get good at whatever they want to get good at. It just has to matter to them. It just literally has to matter to them. So, um, reaction is tough. <laughs> reaction is I do think my reaction sucks, but that depends on the game. That depends on the game. Honestly, like Street Fighter Five is probably more reaction based, and I'm not good at it. And then people saw me play Street Fighter 6 and they're like, why are you playing so well, James? Like they're used to watching me play Street Fighter 5. So different games will definitely skew to different mindsets. But again, your mindset, mindset, your mindset will be shaped a lot by nature, honestly. So, um, so that's my take on that. Um, any other questions? I mean, this is a great topic. I love this topic of nature versus nurture obviously it's something that i believe in very much the way that i believe in and i'm not necessarily right and it says nurture nurture this whole entire time nurture <laughs> uh yeah broly legs <laughs> broly legs he put in the time man uh he put in the time and again, uh, I still, I, I, I tell that Ultra David story that uh, he fought Broly Legs online one time and Broly Legs was using uh, Fuerte and David was like, I can be riskier against Broly Legs because, I mean, come on, there's no way he's going to be able to do Run Stop Fierce. <laughs> and um, uh, he whiffed the DP and Broly Legs did fierce run, fierce run, fierce run, fierce run, fierce run. <laughs> and David was like, oops. So Broly Legs has good, pretty decent dexterity. He, he really does. He really does. Uh, my own personal puff your chest turning moment. What is my, uh, okay, execution and dexterity can be considered two different things. They can be uh, very similar, though. Uh, biggest puff my chest out moment in tournaments. I mean, I, I've talked about this a lot, but the CVS2 tournament that I did win at Southern Hills Golf Land was one of my 
proudest moments. Um, it was during E3 week, so everybody was there. Now, as I had mentioned, I could never beat Vi. Vi was always the guy that would beat me all the time. Uh, Vi was in the tournament, but he really kind of wanted to go party and go to the club. And so he fought Duck Doe, who was very good at CVS 2. And uh, Vi wasn't trying really hard, and Duck beat him. And I normally can beat uh, Duck Doe because uh, we were kind of on an equal level. And so I could beat him. And so instead of Vi, I ran into Duck and I ended up beating him, got all the way to grand finals and won even with a bunch of out-of-towners at that tournament. And so that was probably one of my proudest uh, fighting game moments, honestly, ever was winning that kind of a big tournament because one of one of my real demons, Alex Vi, wasn't there. So uh, I did end up winning that tournament and that was... Uh, that was a really crowning achievement for me uh, 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 at the tournament, uh, in terms of tournament stuff. I've definitely had some other really cool tournament moments. I won an Alpha 3 tournament at, uh, at, uh, at UCLA. I won it on my home turf. It was a tournament that had like Ed Ma and Jason Cole in it. And, you know, uh, getting into the Tournament of Legends uh, the first tournament of legends that Bob Painter threw um, by getting second place at CEO, beating Arturo Sanchez uh, to get to second place. Uh, Daigo then destroyed me in first place, but he was already invited to the tournament, so I got in because he was already in. But even just getting in was a, a really big deal uh, as well. So uh, don't worry, Mega, Re Mega Retro Man. I missed a lot of people at the Tetris tournament. I actually wasn't at the convention as long as I have been in previous years because I had a lot of people ask to hang out. So I hung out with some other people. Uh, so I actually left the venue uh, a lot during the course of the weekend. But uh, I'm wondering if there's anything else. Uh, when did I decide to hang up the gloves when it came to competitive play? Uh, when did I stop competing heavily? Oh, another Puff My Chest moment actually was pretty recent, was in Unist, actually. Uh, I played a ton of Unist, and I used Nanase, and she wasn't very good. And uh, one run-back tournament... You know, this is with Breaker Dave and LPT and all those guys. I got second place at the tournament. Again, in grand finals, I got my ass whooped by Breaker Dave. But, like, I, I felt really good. It was, like, one of the last times that I really noticed, like, if I put in the effort and practiced, I could still be good. Like, I got second place, and it wasn't just, like, nobody was there. There was decent players there, and I beat a lot of people, and I got second place at that run back. And uh, it really, really... Uh, it really meant a lot to me, honestly, to have gotten that high. I was just like, wow, like I could still do this if I really wanted to. I could really put in that effort. And I remember in Losers Finals, I ended up beating LPT. Um, and uh, that's not any, that's not, he's a strong, strong player. So I was really proud of that. Um, so that was probably one as well, even though it was just a, such a, you know, not a major thing, just a relatively minor kind of thing. So that was a big one as well. But 
when did I stop competing heavily? It's when I started focusing on commentary. There was too many instances where I would lose tournaments, uh, tournament matches at Wednesday Night Fights and run back and get on commentary and be salty. And I realized I was doing that a lot at Evos and other things that I would compete at. And I was not commentating well when I competed. So I basically told myself that I wouldn't compete at events that I commentated because I would just always be so... <laughs> I would always get so salty. And then when I lose and jump back onto the stream, I would just be like, this kid's stupid, I hate this, and all this stuff. Yeah, the classic clip with Sanchez, for sure, and everything. I never actually flipped the table out of anger. I never, most of those were just for fun and goofiness. I've never actually flipped the table out of anger. Uh, but um, yeah, so I just stopped competing heavily. But I used to compete pretty seriously during Street Fighter 4. And then, uh, like I said, during uh, AE 2012 is when I quit because I just got sick of Vortex and Unblockables. So. Board games. Yes, the checkers when I was a kid. Yes, for sure. Uh, do I play Fight Cade? No, I don't actually. I should. I should. Uh, Tree Fox asked, did I decide from one day to another? No, it was kind of a collective thing. I had always made it out of my pools of like Super Turbo and for Street Fighter 4. I always got into the semis. The one year that I did not make it out of my pools in Street Fighter 4, I think was the last time I competed at EVO. Because I just kind of felt like I was like, ah, eh, this is probably not meant to be at this point in time. So <laughs> I should play Fight Cade. I should, honestly. I don't know why I don't. Uh, people would probably love watching me play some Fight Cade. Uh, but again, I would be playing a lot of Super Turbo and I would get my ass whooped because I use Cammy. <sighs> Cammy's not good. I don't care what anybody says. And the one time I tried playing Hyper Fighting, like Hyper Fighting is like one of my favorites and I love Zangief and Hyper Fighting. So I was like, I'll go play Fight Cade. And I played Hyper Fighting. And you know who challenged me? Fromo. <laughs> Fromo challenged me, and he's a Blanca player. Do you want to know what the Blanca-Zangief matchup is in Hyper Fighting? <laughs> Do you want to know what that matchup is like in Hyper Fighting? You don't want to know what that matchup is like. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I, I not, no, not going to, no, no. <laughs> Man, <laughs> so that kind of soured me. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Quite a few times you got stuck with a super salty commentator. Yep, that was me for sure, for sure. Uh, do I enjoy horror films? No, I, d I actually don't uh, like horror films. Uh, favorite international player? Favorite international player that is up and coming? Again, this one's a tough one because what is up and coming, right? Are we going to, you know, be like, oh, my God, this Latif guy, he's like the newcomer on the scene, you know? Like, if you just don't know. I don't know how long, like, Kuro Kitsch has been playing or Zando has been playing Guilty Gear, for example. Like, I don't know. They might have been playing forever, but I'd be like, yo, this Zando kid is really great at fighting games, you know? I <laughs> So, uh, I mean, if I had to pick my favorite up-and-comer, like, God, I don't know. 
right? Like, if you didn't watch Street Fighter 4, would you be like, whoa, did you see in the Street Fighter 6 beta this Valmaster guy who was super good at Chun-Li? Otherwise, you know, I would say, like, you know, Kuro Kich obviously is one of my favorites because he's just this awesome Potemkin in Guilty Gear Strive. Uh, I don't know. It's a good... Uh, who would I say? Like, I really have to know that they're a true up-and-comer, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah, Ending Walker is really good, and he is new. Street Fighter V literally is his first fighting game. Uh, I can't say he's my favorite, not because I have anything wrong with him. It's just, I just haven't watched a lot of his matches. You know, I just know he's winning all the time and killing everybody. That's all I know about him. So it's uh, hard for me to say uh, whether or not, you know, he's my favorite at this point. So I really don't, I honestly don't have an answer to that question. I apologize. I don't really have a good question, uh, answer for that. Uh... <laughs> Do you think the decline of arcades and netcode improvement has even the footing between Japan and everyone else? Uh, has decline of arcades and good netcode even the playing field? Uh, I will say that I think that they are factors. For sure. The net code is important because it allows good players to play each other. That's how a lot of the Strive players are so strong. And you see what happens when we have good net code and players that practice with against each other all the time. U.S. might have the strongest Strive players in the world right now. I mean, honestly, like the, the U.S. players in Strive are ridiculous. <laughs> Like, you know, with, uh, with, with Unisho and Razo and Jonathan Tene and, you know, all the uh, Hotashi and uh, Nubenheimer and all these guys that they're just playing each other constantly. They're so good. They're so strong. However, one of the biggest factors, and in fact, uh, Mike beat me to the punch again, which he always likes to do. So screw you, Mike. I'm banning you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, one of the biggest factors is simultaneous release date. That is one of the biggest factors. A lot of people don't know that in the old days, Japan always got every fighting game before us. They always had months of advantage ahead of us. They have always had months of advantage ahead of us. And it was harder. That, that made it hard for us to keep up with them. Yeah, I, I don't know what the situation with that is, Romano. If people can, can correct, correct us... But it doesn't feel like Japan likes Strive as much as as some of the players in as like US and EU and stuff like that. But yeah, social media has helped a lot too. Social media has helped a lot, but I don't think that's as big of a factor. Honestly, I just uh, the net code and getting things at the same time is really really hell. Okay, lots of people play Strive a lot. There you go. Um, Honestly, the ability for people to practice with each other. Street Fighter V, it happens a lot too. Like I heard early on in Street Fighter V when Knuckledoo was one of the best, you know, Knuckledoo and Punk and everybody, they have their Smurf accounts and they would just go and play against each other. They would arrange matches with each other and play with each other so that, you know, it wasn't just like, let me go research how Punk plays, go find his, you know, CFN records and find all of his online matches, you know, like... These guys would practice with each other all the time. I heard that there was like seriously like hours long 
training sessions between top players a lot of the times and you know having a good connection to help with that now obviously street fighter 5 wasn't the best but now you know with netcode getting to this point yeah i really do think netcode has helped with the parity a lot because uh, a lot of it the advantages of japan comes from their uh you know proximity to each other you know, the farthest distance a Japan player has to travel is about the same as going from NorCal to SoCal. <laughs> you know, we had, e I remember in AGSF2 days, someone in the AGSF2 was like, John Choi and Alex Valle are so lucky. They both live in California so they can play each other every day. And I was like, what the hell? How, how small do you think California is? <laughs> how small do you think California is, man? Like... Uh, no. It's six hours, okay? They're six hours drive apart, okay? If John Choi and Alex Vai want to play each other, they're driving for six hours, okay? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, uh, so I think a lot of that has even the playing field. Kind of in their carry and shade asks, what do I think about hiding tech? Uh, bad idea today. Bad idea. Everyone's discovering everything all the time. Tech is being shared all the time. Uh, let me just put this in here. What do you think about hiding tech? Uh, it worked. Oh, careful, Nathan. It worked in the past because uh, tech was hard to find and it didn't spread. So there was an advantage of showing up to a tournament and having a trick be able to beat people with. And in fact, that was a largely how a lot of fighting games were played. You had tricks that you hoped they hadn't seen the setup for, and then you catch them out of it. You just don't get that now. It's impossible now because everyone's finding everything out. And so it's not a valid strategy because even if you think you're the only one that knows that tech, you hide the tech, you go to a tournament, somebody else knows it, and they start beating you, and now you have nothing else to rely on. The people who rely on tech to win usually are the players who are going to lose very quickly. So what happens is that nowadays you're better off teaching everybody your tech so that you can't get away with free, easy wins so that you can learn to fight against people who know how to stop your tech, who know how to stop your okey-doke. It's just not as powerful as it was before in the past. So uh, honestly, like, if you want to hide tech, I have no problems with that. Like, if the question is, what do I think about hiding tech? I'm fine with it. I just don't think it's going to make you a good player. <laughs> I think you're going to be a worse player for it. Whereas in the past, you could actually be a better player for, for actually hiding tech. That's just not going to happen these days. So, Yes, I just put a hair tie on my cat's tail. It's the first time I've ever done that. I don't know why I just did that right now. Um, uh, uh. Most standout example of successful save that shit for nationals that you remember is the ViCC. Uh, uh, hi, 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 Nathan. You're rubbing your head all over me. Uh, rubbing your head all over me. Uh, I, for now, uh, I will say the Via CC because nobody knew about it and everyone just thought they weren't blocking in time. Not that they literally couldn't block. 
so they were all dying by it. But the reason why that Save That Shit for Nationals moment stands out to me so much is because Vi was one of the only people that knew it. And he was the one, and he didn't use it at first. He only started using it at the higher level matches when he needed to win. So he was literally saving that stuff for later on in the tournament. Um, and then, uh, but see, using third strike stuff to beat up America, you know, Japan beating up America, wasn't saving stuff. We just had no information. We just had no information. So it's not saving stuff for nationals. It was literally, what, you guys didn't know? <laughs> they were just doing what they were doing. They definitely were not saving anything. But Vi definitely saved that uh, Vi CC 4B3. But the reason why that moment stands out is even though nobody had really ever seen it before, John Choi just started doing it back to him. Like in grand finals, John Choi was just like, okay, I think I see what you're doing. Let me try it. And in the grand finals, he Vi CC'd Vi back without ever having ever done a Vi CC in his life, he just was like, okay, I see what you're doing. I'm going to replicate it. And he did. And that grand finals was so sick because yeah, Troy was just like, shit, well, let's try. And it worked, dude. It was ridiculous. And all of us watching were, and, and, and even up to that point, most of us were not sure whether you could block it or not, or if it was just so fast that we weren't crouching in time. But then I remember the next day, me and my brother literally went to the cabinet and we tested it. And we were like, holy shit, you can't block this. You cannot block this. And yeah, what Forrest said is uh, streaming can give away your play style. But, you know, that's why you have to give away all the tech because it just makes you as a better player. So K. John asks, what's via CC? So if you activated a custom combo in Street Fighter Alpha 2, you could, the, the game froze just like when you were gathering chi. So like, super, but instead it was like that. However, active, after you activated the um, custom combo, you could move before the freeze ended. So in other words, you could start attacking for like a few frames before the opponent could even start moving. So if you saw and you were in the range of the opponent for your sweep and they were standing up when you activated the custom combo, you could sweep them before they could low block. So if we're playing footsies in neutral and I activate and you're standing, I could sweep you before you could crouch block. And because you had custom combos, you could sweep into Tatsu and do whatever the hell you wanted and combo them, basically. And that's what actually launched Zangief into one of the best characters. Even though his sweep was slow, so the timing was trickier than Ryu and Ken's, who, who basically had the best one, and thus Dan, um, Zangief had one of the longest range sweeps. So if you could time it consistently, Zangief became one of the scariest characters in Alpha 2 because he would sweep, hand, 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 lariat, 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 and then you would lose half of your life, dude. <laughs> Oh, man. Hungrybox used to do similar tactic in Smash Kid. He intentionally never agreed to play casuals at tourneys for years so people could not download him. Yeah. I mean, again, don't forget, Melee is an offline game. 
melee is the same thing as a lot of those fighting games. The reason why, one of the reasons why melee scene got so big is because they're used to traveling because they have no online. So they played a lot. And so saving that shit for nationals was valid in Smash days, right? It, it literally was. So, um, but uh, that's... Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's kind of, uh, probably the most impressive save that shit for natural nationals thing I've ever seen was the Vi CC because again, none of us had seen it before and he just started throwing it out at everybody and we were like, what the heck? So yeah, it was a pretty, pretty, um, it's not necessarily scummy, Peter0611. What you have to realize is it's different times, different times today. Yeah. Maybe it seems a little, uh, bad, but Back then, that was just the norm. It's just, it was the norm, right? So, uh, I mean, you can ask me anything, but I won't necessarily answer everything. <laughs> you can ask me stuff. I'm not going to answer it necessarily. So, uh, so uh, any other questions? Any other questions from people? I'll probably start winding it down at this point because, like I said, pretty damn tired uh and i probably do need to rest pretty soon so uh yeah ask me uh how do we solve the lack of a good place like srk forms to oh god jesus christ how do we overcome twitter being the worst place for tech ever that's how i'm writing the question okay <laughs> How do we how, how do we overcome Twitter being the worst place for tech ever? Uh dude, I don't know. People have tried so hard with Discords. Everybody has come up to me and been like, "Yo James, here's my idea of creating this fighting game tech knowledge repository website that, you know, any one user can come in and introduce information and blah, blah, blah. It'll be great. And I was like, I tried with the SRK wiki. The people on the stream who have watched a long time know how much damn work I put into the Shoruken wiki for Street Fighter 4 to be the ultimate repository. I built so much infrastructure and nobody put in any goddamn information. Even I had other top players were like, yo, James, if you build this, I will dump all of my information that I have in all of these documents into the wiki. I was like, great. I talked to Wizard. I was like, can you install this extension? He installed it. I got it all set up. I went to the top player and I'm like, it's ready. Nothing ever got put in. <laughs> Nothing ever got put in. <laughs> uh, did I avoid a question of co-hosts? Did I miss one? Did I miss one? I might have just missed it, to be honest with you, DJ Blues. But again, I don't know what the answer is. Actually, I have a an idea of how to solve the problem. Uh, I've pitched it to a couple of people. No one's been able to create it yet, but I think I have a neat idea. I just haven't been able to implement. I, 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 maybe I should sit down and try to implement it. But again, I'm not a network coder. Like that's not like my thing. I'm not sure I can create like a, a whole like network server programmer thing to to be able to do all this stuff. I'm, I would need somebody else. I have an idea that I think would actually be kind of neat. That would kind of bring us back to forms, but. 
the thing about forums is that forums demanded kind of reputation and respect. And like, even though it was free for anybody with an account to write messages, it wasn't about spamming the board. That's the problem with Discord, that's the problem with Twitter, is that anybody can say stuff and be loud. On forums, it was very easy to, someone would say some stupid shit, and everybody was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Downvote it, and it would just go away, and there was moderators and stuff that, like, somehow you got people who could trust and stuff. Uh, Reddit? Reddit is just, again, I don't know, Reddit just has this culture, I guess it depends on the, 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 the Reddit and the moderators in there. You might be able to craft it, but I don't think Reddit is organized enough. I don't like the th- ways things get upvoted and downvoted, whereas a forum, it's like, here's the character discussion forums, here's the beginner question forums, here's the matchup forums, you know, I, I kind of uh, 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 like that and miss that stuff. <laughs> forum badges were addicting. <laughs> um... True, the forum badges were... Dude, people wanted those badges so badly. Holy crap. (laughs) Uh, Nested comments suck balls. Yeah, yeah. I I don't like the nested comments kind of thing either, so... Uh, Yeah, it's true, Big for Lil. I've seen that before on forums. One person could get shit on and then completely turn the argument around. I've definitely seen that before. So, (laughs) uh, what is most likely to be real? So, again, uh, my answer to that question is I don't know. Because if it was that easy of a solution to think of, nobody, like somebody would have come up with it already outside of using Twitter and having Twitter be awful. Uh, DJ Blues, I kind of answered that question already. Proudest moment as an FGC competitor. You'll have to see my puff my chest moment. I've definitely talked about that. Did I ever play competitive puzzle games or like Pokemon? I've never played a Pokemon in my life. I have not ever touched a single Pokemon game in my entire life. Uh, I've played Tetris 99. That's probably the closest I've gotten to uh, competing. Uh, I already mentioned El Zilcho. I will check out the Exard rollback uh, beta. Uh, but I wanted to ask, uh, answer the question, Bigfoot or Loch Ness Monster? Uh, which one is more likely to be real, Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster? Uh, absolutely Loch Ness Monster because I'm pretty sure the Loch Ness Monster is just a actual living sea creature that was seen in the incorrect way. Uh, I've definitely seen some examples of creatures that if you look at their tail just wrong, it looks like a, it looks like the Loch Ness Monster. So it was mostly, probably, uh, Loch Ness Monster probably is something that was real that was seen. So there you go. Uh, Bigfoot probably blurs or probably just another human that someone saw wrong or something like that. So, uh, I I said I, you could ask me anything. (laughs) And whether I answered it or not is the, is the question. So, um, let's see, uh, any other questions here in the chat? Uh, white lens, it is technology. People call new tricks and advancements in fighting games technology. 
oh, I came up with that technology. Oh, what technology do you... It, it actually means technology and not technique. When people say fighting game tech, it's technology. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> uh, my favorite food, Jay Buck? Uh, probably spaghetti marinara, I would say. Weird answer. Uh, either that or something like beef soup noodles. Uh, it's it's either going to be spaghetti marinara or something Chinese that my mom makes because my mom's food is like the, the best food ever. Uh, any other historic FGC moments other than uh, Evo Moment 37? That can be a whole stream, Exilion. That's too hard. There's too many. There's too many good ones, and I would really want to sit down and think about that one. Uh, that's not one that I could just answer off the cuff, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, so... But again, uh, for me, spaghetti marinara, I grew up on it because it was something easy that my mom could prepare for us that we, me and my brother could cook ourselves because my parents would work. And so me and my brother were basically, you know, kids left at home and raised by ourselves, which doesn't fly today. But that's what we did a long time ago. We never had babysitters. We were just kids uh, there. Oh, you can ask as many questions as you want. Um, I can compare them, Mike Lee, and I will say that ramen is way better than pho. Sorry, Mike. I know, I know. I'm, 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 I'm hating on your people's food, but I've never been a fan of pho. I, I, I've never been a fan of pho. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. Pho is just is like is like low rent Chinese soup noodles to me. So, for me, it's like Chinese noodles. Soup noodles, ramen, and then pho. I'm just, I've never understood the appeal of pho. I, I don't know why. I don't know why. It's just, <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike. I'm sorry, Mike. I know, I know. You're like, never going to come into my stream again. Uh, rice noodle soup can be good. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Top 10 films of all time. Top 10 films of all time. Uh, I don't know. I would have to think about it because that list has changed a lot, a lot, a lot. But my favorite movie of all time is The Princess Bride. In fact, if you are a girl and you are single out there and The Princess Bride is one of your favorite movies, that is all I ever need to know about you. We are compatible. So... <laughs> Because if you like The Princess Bride, if The Princess Bride is one of your favorite movies of all time, I know exactly the kind of person you are. We are compatible. Let's go. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, uh, Shawshank is really good. I wouldn't say it's necessarily in my, in my like top 10. Like Another one that I have to put in there, like Airplane, is another one that's ever going to be good. Uh, Will I ever commentate old game arcade streams again? I, I just did at ECT. I did Vampire Savior, imbecile. <laughs> I did. Thank you for the subscription, Tree Fox. I know you've just been watching uh, only pretty recently, so thank you for the sub. I really appreciate it. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, thoughts on creating FGC content as a business. Uh, content, FGC content creation as a uh, business. Thoughts on. So uh, I remember Gutex was trying that with Exit Adventure, but it seems hard because everything is free nowadays. So Gutex was ahead of his time. Okay, like he started a little too early when it wasn't 
uh, easier to do and as uh, easy to succeed on the content creation. And also he was very, it, it became the point where it was very experimental. Like, you know, he tried to do the Akuma guide and that got put down. You know, I, I can't remember exact the details, but I think he, he was, he was actually cease and desisted to not be able to put out the Akuma guide again. He tried a lot of things a little bit too early. And again, it kind of, it kind of uh, hurt him that way, but he was on the right track. Uh, but a lot of people do that now. Like, uh, like Mike Lee says in the chat, I mean, like, you don't think Brian F is not just able to make his living off of that? I mean, I know he has a day job, at least I don't know if he quit his day job, but that's certainly what Sajam does, right? People can definitely make uh, FGC content as a business, but you have to be good. And two, there's not a lot of FGC, uh, viewers out there. So it's hard to do as an FGC content creator like me, I've been doing, we, like what this is. Even though it's not the Tuesday show anymore, this is what like my twelfth year of doing this stuff here. And you know, I'm getting 140 viewers here, right? Like, I, I make like maybe 150 bucks a month on YouTube. Woo! You know, like that's not sustaining. I've been doing this forever. I just I'm not doing it well. <laughs> I'm just not doing it well. So, you know, uh, I'm definitely not applying all of the proper tactics to make money from content creation because I'm lazy. Um, but you absolutely can do it. You absolutely can do it. And anyways, like, I get 200 people on my stream. Like, honestly, that's like, I'm in the 99th percentile, man. Like, I'm definitely in the top 1%. I am 100% in that top 1% and probably even less than that too. And I don't make any money off of Twitch or YouTube, right? But again, in terms of FGC content creation, I'm way up there, way up there. But that's that's just an indication of how hard it is. Uh, yeah, 50 plus viewers is like the top 1%. Absolutely. There's just so much of it out there. It's very, very difficult. I mean, Chupasaurus, it is a little bit of trial and error. My biggest problem is all my content is three hours long. As I can see right now, I've been streaming for two and a half hours right now. So I am definitely, my content is too long. I'm bad at short form content. But the nice thing about it, people know that's what they expect on the Ultra Chen TV channel. So I actually get the people out there who like podcasts. So I'm more of the podcast audience kind of thing right now. So people can put stuff on and listen for a long time. Uh, Parasite, Ultra David had to stop doing these streams because he got a job as Tenno's lawyer. And so he's going to be uh, officially part of like a lot of things, making deals with a lot of these companies. So let's just say Street Fighter 6 beta came out and Street Fighter 6 sucked ass. Like David's not can't be here on stream being like, hey, Street Fighter 6 sucked ass. And then go and talk to Capcom and be like, yes, we will hook you up in a deal to do the, you know, just, <laughs> yeah, conflict of interests, basically. <laughs> he can't do the job anymore. And, uh. Tubo kind of wanted to go all in on Rumbleverse, which he's been doing very successfully, which is really, really cool. Um, I mean, that's kind of what David's always wanted to do anyway, right? That's what he's always wanted to do. So I'm really happy for him that he's able to do that. So uh, should Evo and other big tournaments work with merch partners to add money to the top eight prize pools? Like 10% of every joystick goes to the top eight payout. Could this, I mean, uh, God, shoot. 
boy, what a question. Uh, how do we increase prize pools? We, I mean, people have to be convinced to pay more money. FGC players have to make more money, and uh, we have to get to a point where people are willing to spend money. I mean, we've asked, we've put out polls. If the entry fee to a tournament went from $10 to $20 for the game now, would you still go? And most people are like, no, I wouldn't be able to afford it. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to afford it. And so there you go. Uh, man, it's, it's really tough. Um, but Matcherino, crowdfunding stuff, it's a good way to go. It's a good way to look at it. But again, as I was actually talking to one of the guys in the chat right now, uh, and I know, and it would, doubling the entry fee wouldn't even increase the prize pool by a significant amount. Yeah, for sure. Um, but um, uh, one of the hardest things about the FGC is that we are in a position where we have no governing body and we are split between multiple games. That right there is the hardest reason, hardest, the, the biggest reason why it's hard for us to increase our prize pools. Because if the FGC was, well, I mean, like, look at Capcom Pro Tour. The first place person the past few years has won $250,000, right? And that's because the Capcom Pro Tour is exclusively Street Fighter. And Capcom can put money into it, right? So, uh, what, and yeah, and it's becoming way more expensive to run tournaments, uh, best of boy. And so, like, venue fees is to help. The TOs not go broke, right? That doesn't go into the prize pool. Venue fees doesn't go into prize pool at all. Venue fees just make sure that they don't lose that much money. Um, but again, uh, uh, what was I saying? Uh, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> uh, but again, you know, oh, the, the 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 no central government. But so why would Capcom? want to take $50,000 and put it into the prize pool of EVO, unless it was like a CPT event or something like that, when they could take that money and throw it into the Capcom Pro Tour, pay out more money on all the CPT online events, et cetera, et cetera, stuff that they're most more interested in, right? That's the question right there. So, you know, it's tough for the combo breakers and the EVOs out there because... They're multiple game tournaments, right? How unfair would it be if we did a giant fundraiser buying cool shit for Evo and then the prize money got split evenly among the games when, like, let's say a bunch of Melee people came in and bought a bunch of stuff. Do they get to mark which game that little thing goes to? You know, it's just the whole thing is just kind of a very difficult situation that we're in and... People are going to get mad about, you know, oh, this is unfair, that's unfair. Okay, let's not use Melee as an example. Let's use Strive as an example, right? Like, or even Street Fighter Six, right? Let's say Evo comes around, Street Fighter Six is out. Street Fighter Six gets 8,000 competitors in there, right? And then uh, a bunch of them buy a bunch of stuff and the prize money gets split between all the games evenly. Like, is that fair? 
Is that fair? Some would argue absolutely it's fair. A lot of people would argue it's not fair at all. And now you've got this big giant debate on how to do all this stuff, you know? Like, it's it's a tough situation. And because the fighting game community, and I like it better that we cater to multiple games, but because of that, it makes it harder to organize something to, you know, help increase the prize pools, honestly. Right, then everyone else playing the other games will complain and stuff. So it's that's the thing. LCS, they only care about one game. Owl, Overwatch League, they only care about one game. It's That's their marketing budget. Like the company, Riot, literally like, here's the money we're putting into LCS. Here's this much, we'll take it to the prize pool, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like I said, even if you are Bandai Namco and you're like, we want to make Tekken more prestigious at EVO. Let's put all this money in here or we could actually put it into the Tekken World Tour Grand Finals and then say we paid out $200,000 so that sounds more impressive. Let's do that instead because that benefits Tekken and Tekken only, right? So, what are you doing, Jasmine? You are tearing out my chair? You're destroying my chair? That's one of the things that makes it really, really hard. And so this is, the, this is the position that we're in. This is the problem that we're trying to solve. This is, how, this is what we're trying to solve. So when something like Combo Breaker sells a bunch of t-shirts and that money goes to helping fund Combo Breaker, everyone's not going to do anything, right? But once we start crowdfunding for what game gets the money at Evo, oh boy, that's going to be a difficult thing. <laughs> uh, do you think the commentator feature will matter once people can mod their own voices and stuff into SF6? I mean, it'll probably happen. I mean, look, I'm just saying that I haven't been paying attention to my Patreon, but one of my Patreon options was you can get me to record any line that you want as long as I approve of it. So I'm not saying that, you know, you could potentially get certain famous tweets into the game, you know, by, you know, subbing to my Patreon and, and having uh, record me record fun lines specific to you or anything like that. No, I'm just saying... That's all that I never thought that that might be a potential thing, but maybe it can. <laughs> I've actually thought about shutting down my Patreon because I just don't think it's, I, I mean, I'm not doing anything with it, so I feel bad, to be honest with you. Um, just have different merch for each game. So if someone buys a Chun-Li statue, then the revenue goes to Street Fighter VI, etc., etc. Well, here's the question. Uh, what company is going to do that and I guess they would have to be official sponsors because then you would be like, hey, look, uh, this company has statues. And, you know, th their hope for putting that money into the prize pool will be that, you know, they get advertising and, and, and such. So that might be an option, uh, to be honest with you. Um, so definitely something like that could happen. Um, yeah, Capcom Pro Tour. But see, again, the skins and stages were for Capcom Pro Tour. Again, that's the thing. They always want to put it that. They, they want to put that money towards the thing that benefits them solely, right? Cap, the, those stages and costumes are the reason why the prize pool has been $250,000 for, uh, for the number one player, the person who wins Capcom Cup. 
uh, that money is made possible by a lot of the selling of those skins and stuff like that. So uh, that's 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 basically how that works. But again, why would they want to put it into Evo when they could put it into like you could put fifty thousand dollars into the Capcom Pro Tour? I mean, into Evo, but that means that the Capcom Pro Tour you're rewarding two hundred thousand dollars. What sounds more impressive, two hundred thousand dollars or two hundred and fifty thousand dollars? When Evo was smaller, you know, I would tell people who had no idea what fighting games were about, and they'd be like, oh, so how much can people win at these tournaments that you go to? And I'm like, dude, first place gets like $3,000, and they're just like, oh, that's cute. But now when I'm like, oh, yeah, first place gets $250,000, they're like, wow, how fascinating. That's interesting. And that's one of the hardest parts is that the prize pool generates interest. It creates legitimacy. It, it automatically adds prestige to an event where, where the prestige wasn't before. So, I mean, yeah, Dota TI crowdfunding makes that tournament feel like one of the most legit tournaments ever. It could have been run on, on marionette strings. But the fact that the prize money is like millions of dollars, like that automatically adds prestige to an event, right? So when Evo, like they used to pay out top eight, top heavy, it used to be first place would get the most. When Cien won Evo, that was the first year they tried to spread the money evenly because everyone's like, you should pay the people down lower better. That's not fair that it's so top heavy. So they spread it and then everyone was like, Cien didn't get any money, Evo sucks. And like that actually hurt Evo's reputation more than not paying people lower, right? Like not paying the people down there wouldn't hurt the prestige as much as trying to spread the money a little bit. Like, yeah, you can try, but again, numbers are prestige and it's crazy, dude. Dude, uh, yeah, exactly. CTWC, they raised $12,000 through Matcherino. CTWC put in $10,000 of their own just because they out of the goodness of their heart. But, you know, if CTWC was on a game that people could buy right now, CTWC would have a lot... I mean, the, the Tetris company would have a lot more reason to put in a lot more money. But why is the classic tech, why is the Tetris company going to put money into an event that plays largely NES Tetris, which you are better off emulating and finding ROMs for to play, right? Like, <laughs> that, that doesn't help the Tetris company. They're doing it out of the goodness of their heart and just, you know, to buy good, it's goodwill for the entire, you know, uh, property of Tetris, but if we were actually playing on, like, the latest version that was out, like, they could put in a lot more money. Right, Multiverse at Evo had 10 k but again, that's marketing budget, right? Is Multiverses going to get more interest in their game by spending $10,000 on, on web ads or putting $10,000 into Evo in the first year with this game coming out? Like, it's a calculated move, right? It's, it's definitely, you're going to give a lot more attention to multiverses by putting that $10,000 into Evo than spending on a different kind of advertising budget, right? Yeah, it absolutely worked. 
And so that's the whole thing, right? Can, does Capcom believe that if they added $50,000 prize pool to Evo that it will be worth their money and advertise the game enough to sell more copies of Street Fighter V? Or will it be more beneficial for them to make the prize pool at Capcom Pro Tour $250,000 so that companies that could potentially become sponsors of the Capcom Pro Tour feel like the tournament has more prestige because they gave out a quarter of a million dollars, right? If you say a fifth of a million dollars over a quarter of a million dollars, like a quarter of a million dollars just sounds that much bigger than a fifth of a million dollars. I don't know why, <laughs> you know? And, and, and right, do prize pools sell copies at all? And that's the thing, right? The multiverses, it probably did because the game is brand new and they need the intention. And there's already a big giant marketing blitz and advertising budget going into the game paid for by Warner Brothers who has a shit ton of movies, a shit ton of money, right? But if you're Capcom and you're in your sixth year of Street Fighter V, are you going to put $10,000 into Evo? Are you going to put $50,000 into Evo? Is that going to sell you $50,000 worth of copies of the game? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. And so that's the thing, right? You know, it's it's early business. You want to get people hooked, get the word of mouth. Multiverses is going to put $10,000 in. You get the early word of mouth. You get content creators putting in money, playing it, tweeting about their experience, playing it at Evo, talking about how funny this thing is or that is. It's a, it's a calculated expenditure. But putting prize money into tournaments... Just because you're nice, because you feel like, hey, it would be cool if Cobble Breaker had an extra $10,000 for Tekken. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Uh, or yeah, like Forrest says, budget that money on the 100th Monster Hunter DLC and you'll make a lot more money, so... Uh, it's it's a tough situation. It's It's a really, really tough situation the prize pool for tournaments is very hard and really it's coming down to can we get more people watching evo you know because then if more people watch evo and there's bigger numbers they can get better sponsors and then they have more money to play with to be able to throw into different areas etc etc really it comes down to the viewership right that's always going to drive everything the world the the, the 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 world of entertainment is driven by viewership is driven by eyes if you have followers on Twitter, if you have followers on TikTok, if you have followers on Instagram, you know, it's about views. It's about, uh, uh, what's that analytics word? Uh, it's not breadth. What's that word I'm thinking of? It's, it's, it's the, uh, uh, you know, your reach, your, your impressions, engagement, impressions. That's what it is, right? So if Evo can't get similar numbers to League of Legends, to LCS, they're not going to get sponsors to pay as much as LCS. So they're not going to get prize money as much as an LCS, right? That's just really what it comes down to. And so it's really about that uh, engagement. It's really about that kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, situation. And so one of the things that I do as a commentator I mean, a lot of people in the chat sitting here saying, you know, like, hey, I w wouldn't have gotten into fighting games if it wasn't for you. 
like that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to show people why fighting games are fun and why they're great. Spread the love, educate people on how to play because yeah, am I selfishly trying to get more people playing fighting games? Yes. <laughs> am I doing it for my own benefit? No. <laughs> uh, I could definitely have a lot of other more short-term things that I could do for my own benefit than going this path that I'm going. I was supposed to do CPT this past weekend. I canceled it to go to CTWC. And I'll tell you this right now, I would have made more money doing the Capcom Pro thing, Pro Tour thing than the CTWC. I'm doing what I love right now, okay? That's just how it is. That's just how it is at this point in time. But... Yeah, it's just, that's just how it is. We got to get eyes on this stuff. We have to get eyes. It's the only way that it succeeds. Eyes on, on, on our product, basically. And that's how it works. Um... <laughs> For sure, Duck Helmet. We, I, I definitely, we've definitely had lots of conversations Oh, dude, see, that's the thing. Mike Ross and Gutex got so many people into the fighting games. So many people. Like I said, it's sad because they were ahead of their time. They were doing this before Twitch. And it's really unfortunate because they were doing Twitch before Twitch, right? They were doing it before Twitch. And, uh, dude, I, I, they got in. I mean, again, people used to be like, man. Mike Ross and Gutex, their stuff sucks. They're not even funny. Excellent Adventures is stupid. I could do better. And I was like, then do it. <laughs> then do better than them. Yeah, well, you know. Then do better than them. Well, you know. Then shut up, you know? Like, seriously. The amount of people gotten into fighting games because of Mike Ross and Gutex cannot be overstated. They got so many people into the fighting game community. Uh, I've talked about this last week. Uh, is SF6 more heart or mind? Uh, right now, we don't know. But from my own personal hurt, her, is it hurt or is it mine? Is it hurt or mine? Uh, it's uh, from my experiences from playing it, it's definitely uh, more heart than Street Fighter V. But I think there's a lot of mind aspects to it. But if you are a heart player, the game will definitely <laughs> tell me where SF6 hurt you. Um, Street Fighter 6 will appeal to you a lot more as a heart player. So when I played it, it, I definitely felt like I could do things. Like, I mean, they made Kim's run into slide really, really fast. And so it's like, is it, is it actually a strategy to just run into slide because you notice your opponent is standing too much? I just did it. I did it a lot and I would win matches for that. And like, is that part of, the, that's heart. There's nothing mind about that. That's just, yeah, right now. <laughs> so uh, it's definitely uh, more heart. However, there is a lot of mind aspects. There's gonna be frame data. You're still gonna have to memorize what's plus on block. However, the amount of moves that are plus on block versus negative is a lot more obvious because almost everything is minus except for drive rush moves. And then if you're like Kimberly, okay, crouching, medium kick, standing, heavy kick, that's it. Even the light punches are minus. 
you know, so it's definitely going to be less frame data. If you do not pay attention to frame data, you won't have as much of a problem. Also, the game has a lot better tools in there to help you learn that stuff anyway. So even if it is turns out to be a little more mind-focused, even as a heart player, there are utilities and tools in the game that will help you learn how to play via heart a lot easier. So, uh, no news, K-John, on anything right now. So, we have no news, for sure. <laughs> How hype was I during the second of the last game? Uh, Milky Tall, uh, honestly, like, watching that uh, Tetris Grand Finals, that second to the last game, when I was saying I was speechless, I literally was. There were times where I wasn't commentating because I just didn't even know what to say. Because my brain, I was just literally overwhelmed by what those players were doing, dude. It was just ridiculous, dude. It was so crazy. Uh, they did a lot to circumvent frame data knowledge, says Tiny Tex, like punish counter prompts, being able to jab punish and cancel in the drive rush and being able to link into your heavy buttons. You can still get punishes without the data. Yeah, what they did with the drive gauge, and this is why the drive gauge is so powerful, in my opinion, is that the drive gauge is their counter to... Uh, frame data because the drive gauge is a, an auto replenishing resource you like it also solved the fact that I hate that there's no invul DPs since you start with a drive rush gauge full you get invul DPs from the beginning you don't have to build up to it and you don't have to feel like you're wasting it like I should save the meter for something else because it replenishes on its own and so that as a mindset, like, oh, I'm going to drive rush cancel into a move to get myself plus frames so I can play the Street Fighter V RPS. If you want to spend three bars, go for it. <laughs> if you want to wake up EXDP at the very beginning of the round, go for it. You know, and that's one of the cool things is the meter really kind of uh, uh, like changes how we think about frame data a lot and i really really like that uh era says that sf6 is just street fighter 5 with a fresh coat of paint i don't know if i agree but i can see a non-sf player thinking that yeah it's it's not the case it's not the case at all because street fighter 5 is played right here the majority of Street Fighter V is going to be played at this range here. There's a lot of neutral. There's a lot of footsies going on. But when it comes down to it, this is where you want to win. This is where you want to win. Is to win right here. Because this is where you will get... Most Street Fighter V characters will not destroy you playing at this range. Most Street Fighter V characters have an interesting neutral. But their goal is to get here to kill you. Street Fighter 6, this was not the case at all. Street Fighter 6 is largely played at this range. And so the frame data doesn't matter as much. And so it is actually a very different game than Street Fighter 5. It is a very different game. And I could feel that right away, uh, that it's not the same. I mean, I do standing medium punch, and I'm this far away afterwards. Like, you block my standing medium punch, and I'm way over here. In every other game, it would have been like, oh, look, I'm right next to you. Now, I could do crouching medium punch instead, and I stayed closer. But again, both crouching medium punch and standing medium punch are negative on block. So if I do medium punch and then my opponent jabs afterwards, I lose, right? And that's if the jab reaches. So it's really, really different. It's very, very different, honestly. There's way more pushback. Push 
on uh, on the moves, uh, best of boy, than there was in Street Fighter V. Street Fighter V is about leaving you right here. If Laura hits you with light elbow, she's right here. If you block light elbow, she's right here. Hi, Nathan. Um, but in Street Fighter VI, everything that I was doing was pushing me far away, except for very specific moves. Like, for example, Kimberly's crouching medium kick. Yes, it's plus one on block. No, it doesn't have a lot of pushback. I could very, very, very rarely find a situation where I could make you block my crouching medium kick at point blank range. It was so hard to get to a point where I could force you to block that crouching medium kick at point blank range. Remember what I said about KOF 15? What was really hard to make someone block your crouching light kick at point blank range, even though you practice that in training mode all the time? Similar thing to Street Fighter 6. Even though my crouching medium kick was plus one on block, I could never get anyone to block it. I could never get anyone to block it. So um, it's very, very different. It's very different, so. Okay, uh, I think that's it. I think I'm going to end it. It's 8.30. I've been streaming for about three hours now, so I think I'm going to call it uh, a night. Um, but if anybody has any other questions, let me know. Uh, and, do you, and also, let me know in the chat, and let me know in the comments below for the YouTube if you enjoyed this kind of thing. Did you enjoy this Q&A session? Did you like just having James talks to the chat and interacts with the chat and all that stuff like that? If this is actually kind of fun for you guys, let me know and I can do this more often uh, if, I if I can't come up with a topic or if I'm too tired after Tetris, <laughs> classic Tetris. So uh, I will say, oh, thank you. Okay, a lot of people saying they liked it. I will say that there will be no Tuesday show next week. Uh, there will be no Tuesday show next week. I will not be home on Tuesday, so I will not be able to do the show. Uh, so, uh, again, I'm going to be skipping next week. Apologize about that. October is just a ridiculous, busy month um, for me. It's been very difficult, but hopefully uh, we will be able to get back on track in November. October is just a really busy month for me, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Lilith or Morgan? I, I, I'm, I'd probably have to go Morgan, to be uh, honest with you. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So again, if you guys uh, enjoyed this, let me know. But again, no Tuesday show next week. Uh, I may still try to put up some content uh, for the, on YouTube during that week, though. Uh, so look out for that, but uh, there will be no official stream next week. So in any case, thank you guys for watching. Uh, hope you guys are doing well. Please stay safe out there. If you guys didn't have a chance, go watch the VODs of twitch.tv slash classic Tetris or wait till they put it up on YouTube. Uh, Tetris, NES Tetris has just gone completely bonkers out of the water. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty hype stuff, so uh, it'll be fun to watch. But until then, oh wait, hang on a second. Before I say goodnight, uh, hey, come here. We haven't had Jasmine on stream for a while, so I'm gonna bring Jasmine on stream. Hi, Jasmine. Mm -hmm. Hi, Jasmine. Say hi to the chat. Say hi to the chat. Oh, she wants out of here. Oh my God, she's pushing off my face. Okay, there we go. All right. <laughs> Have a good night, guys. Stay safe. 
continue to get vaccinated and all that stuff and get, keep social distancing and, and uh, let's get back to, let's try to get to a point where everything is better than it was before the lockdown. Let's get to better. So uh, other than that, take care. We'll see you guys next time. Have a good night and peace out.